The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ooh, a Riesling pour, right? Oh, and it smells so good, John. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers with Brian Casey today. Sam is on kid assignment as we speak, picking up Althea, and uh, Bart's on special assignment. So let's run this down correctly. Tara Jane Alvey from Own Root Collective. Oh, yeah. And Tyler Cofield from Ricci vineyards correct yeah absolutely shalini i'm not a pasta <sighs> how did i do shalini shaker <laughs> shalini shaker, <laughs> shalini shaker. <sighs> damn from ottavino wines damn. but also so i'm looking at your instagram account and i'm like are you making wines for a bunch of other people too so many that's my actual job is okay this o- job this ottavino thing is your little lost side hustle i lost my, da- I lost my actually, damn mind yeah okay so there's like three other brands I think listed on yeah. your um and also 2019 San Francisco Chronicle winemaker to watch John mm-hmm. and throw that in there. All right. Ready, I like it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and this whole show, you know, Tara and I were talking for I don't know a month or two about coming back on the show. Tara's a friend of the pod, been on the show before and um and then Bailey and I were going to see live music at the Fairmont on a Friday night and we were getting out of our car and Tyler was waiting for his car um, to be brought around um, and he was pouring wine in the lobby and so we just started I noticed he had a box in his hand and I know what those boxes are so I'm like hey were you just pouring in the lobby so we kind of had a conversation and we were talking about Saint Laurent but you didn't actually you poured it all so you you didn't have I any I had none to share I felt so bad. that planted this seed in my brain and I was like fucking Saint Laurent what is this and I was talking to Bart and and Bart's like yeah Dale offered me Saint Laurent like decades ago said I could just take some to play around with it and and I said no and he's like I've been kicking myself since then <laughs> um and so Bart Bart's said to tell you if you want to give him a free ton of St. Laurent, <laughs> he'll take you there up you on go. your offer. He yeah. was like, tell Dale, I'll take him up on his offer. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that we're uh, we're mean people uh, yeah. per se, but that ship might have sailed at this right. point. Right, totally. So. I think, you know, I don't know what year that was, but I'm sure it was right, you know, when it was when after it had first been planted and yeah. they were looking for people to kind of play around with yeah. it and see see what, would it, what it would do. By a large extent, you know, Dale, he's still doing that. Um, Shalini. I nailed her name. Um, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, you know, I think she, I, I actually don't remember how you heard about the grape or, you know, who told you about us or um, how that came about. But, you know, you are very much like everybody else that gets St. Laurent as kind of small producers. Dale, my dad, he's always wants to kind of let people experiment with it and, he likes what people can do with it, whether it's a pet nat or a rosé or a still wine. So it's it's really cool to see what these people are are doing with it. Yeah. So yeah. how many producers are you selling Saint Laurent to now? Do you know? <sighs> Off the top of my head, 
I would have to guess, but it's probably around half a dozen, maybe a, a few others. Um, you know, there's always people knocking on the door, um, trying to get some. And last last vintage, I think, was the first year. I mean, yields were light, but I think that was the first year where demand outweighed supply. So we're kind of going back in that territory again where we're having people, new people, reach out to us and say, hey, I'd like to get some. And we're like, I don't know. It's uh, There might yeah. not be enough to go around, so... And that's the cool thing. I'm sorry, Terry. I was. That's what I like. What's going on right now in the wine industry is I love that people are looking for different varietals. When you see people making mission wines again, and you say it's cool that people are actually wanting to do something a little bit different there. And and I don't know if part of that is because other grapes have become price prohibitive. Um, maybe I don't know how much you guys are selling um, the Saint Laurent for, but um, yeah, I mean I don't think there's any. Um you know, I don't think there's any kind of secrets that we're trying to hold on to. Like, it's usually around the 2,000 a ton mark, somewhere around there. I, right. I mean, that might, might not be exact, but, you know, we don't want to be uh, cost prohibitive for, you know, small brands that get their hands on it. So, yeah. Um, and you're planting a, a little more, right? Yeah. Right now we have about six acres uh, under vine, and then we are planning out, I think, if memory serves me right, another four acres. So we'll have about 10, maybe even more than that. So, And just to give people a perspective, if there was Pinot in that same area, Pinot Noir in that same area, you, it would sell for probably two or three times that, depending on? Um, yeah, I mean, probably not two or three times that, but okay. definitely more than that. Yeah. So, um, you know, St. Laurent's always been kind of like this passion project. So, um, you know... My dad, he's really liked how it's turned out. Um, he's happy with how the fruit uh, shows, what people do with it, like I said. So, um, you know, he's continuing to do it because it's kind of a labor of love for him. He's always been kind of this experimenter in the vineyard. So, yeah. um, and, and to that point, we're actually going to be planning this year uh, about a, a dozen or so new varietals that are kind of on par with St. Laurent, things that you, yes. a lot of people haven't yes, heard of. Um, some people, you know, do I get the insider track today? Cause I, I did bug, <laughs> I, I bugged your sister already. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, she responds so well to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my sister who is not on the podcast, she is, uh, she's the behind the scenes. She's not usually the, the people person and she'll probably bite my head off for saying that if she's, <laughs> if she's listening, but, um, yeah. So we have about a dozen new varietals. It'll be ready in, you know, 2026, seven, um, and some really cool ones, uh, a Blaufrankisch, um, a Certico, which is a Greek oh, grape. Yum. Uh, yeah. We don't we don't know, you know, we're in Carnero, so it's pretty cool out there. We don't know if it's going to ripen well, but we're going to give it a shot. And, Where are you down there? Um, we're on Ramble Road, if people are familiar with, you know, the Sonoma side of Carneros, uh, right across the way from Dunham. So the winery with all the art on the hills. So... Well, I'm gonna jump in because I am like you threw it out there, Brian. That like maybe maybe this is attractive because of the price point, but right. And and I will tell you how I figured out that you guys had the only Saint Laurent. Yeah. In, I'm gonna say the United States. Where we'll get you can get into that other story later. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, for me, I said I would never start a brand ever. Um, and I really stuck to it for like a good 15 years. So I just made other people's wine. I worked for other people um, and had the joy of just living the stress and the worry and love of winemaking, but not selling wine. Right. Because I did start on, I started in direct to consumer. Yeah. And I wanted no part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have enough 
There's enough stuff keeping me up at night, let alone unsold wine. Yeah. <laughs> but I lost my damn mind at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, I'm going to make like a little bit of wine just for fun. And I'll sell it to my friends because they've all been bugging me. Start a brand. We'll like back you. I'm like, I don't want investors. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Thank right. you. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the support, guys. But here, I'll make some wine. Just buy it. And I did that for one year. And I was like, well, I got to have a white. So I guess I better, better think about a red. Um, and I make Pinot Noir and Chard as my day job, which I love. And I'm passionate about, but I, I financially not trying to put my 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 money there. And yeah. why would I do that at this point anyway? I, I have some places and things I'm very passionate about, and I don't want to compete with any of the brands that I I make. So I just kind of said, I'm not what you expect as a winemaker. Indian, nobody can see me. Indian American <laughs> woman, mother from New Jersey. We'll take some pictures um, so you can, can post some pictures yeah. on them. I mean, that's what you've that's what you picture when you picture a winemaker, right? Like a a brown woman from New Jersey, right? That's uh, <laughs> where my mind goes. Absolutely, like it. totally like where it goes, I right? Like it. I feel Perfect. like I'm, I'm going to be, become the new stereotype. So I just was like, let me think about all these other wines that I love. Um, and I do love, you know, Gruner. That's how I decided to start with Gruner. And um, had visited Austria and traveled with some friends and uh, knew that, you know, Blancfrecherche, Zweigelt, St. Laurent. And uh, really did the strong Google search, Tyler. I did the strong Google is that, search. Is that how it Swear to you. out? Okay. Oh, yeah. And then, by the, then I figured it out. And then I managed to, like, get your dad's info. And I bugged him. And I bugged him. And I bugged him. That's that's sometimes and I bugged all, him more, yeah, and I think he gave me he gave me fruit to make me shut up. I think, <laughs> which is not possible. Uh, <laughs> what did we pour first, Brian? Because this is before we get beautiful wine. Here. How about if we just do a little background so we can, um, in case people haven't heard the show before, or haven't um, haven't heard the show with Tara. I know we talk about you every once in a while, but um, Tara, why don't you just talk about Own Root Collective and and what it is exactly you do? Totally. Um, Own Root Collective is uh, my passion project, <laughs> and we feature other people's passion projects. So um, it's a wine club that we work exclusively with people's side projects. So people who have day jobs in the wine industry and then uh, feel compelled for whatever insane reason to also make their own <laughs> wine on the side and then are like, now I've made the wine. DTC sucks. What do I do with this wine? I don't have time. I have a job. And so then I'm like, oh, let me help out and sell this wine to our customer base who's really looking to support really small independent projects that are really hands on. And I mean, small, like, I mean, most of our producers make, you know, a couple hundred cases yeah. of something, you know, like 50 cases of this, 50 cases of that. I mean, this is like beyond micro. This is like, you know infinitesimal production, but always really high quality wine because it's people who are deeply invested in the wine industry and want to produce something that they or feel Or sometimes really not about. always have, and I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, ahead. but the, I bought some, is it, is it little by little? Or yeah. Little, so I bought some little by little because I saw one of your posts and was like, I love Chenin Blanc. Yeah. And, but then I had to buy, I wanted to buy all three of the wines to, to try them all out. Yeah. But it seemed like they, I don't know if those guys had necessarily another job going on or if Will it was just like a little side hustle that they were. Yeah. Will's the winemaker at Thumbprint up in Healdsburg. There we go. Okay. See, so, I didn't even get that deep into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I love finding those wines that you highlight. So that's why I love having you on because I don't want to drink what you're 
I always loved things like that when you find the winemaker at Ravenswood, but on the side, Peter Mathis right. is making his yeah. Grenache, who's got a love of Grenache. You kind of really dig into what the people, like what would they do if they had the, the time and yeah. energy to do something? And what do they really unique? give a shit about? Right. Okay. And I'm just glad we cleared up little by little because I was like, is it little X little, little yeah. times little? I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go you ahead. You should have Will on sometime. <laughs> I totally. He, he, want has, to. he has his own brand um, that's by himself. And then this is a joint project. Um, and his partner also is in the wine industry and was um, the assistant with Kirk Vengi for like a decade. Oh, and cool. then um, when he started little, when they started little by little, he came over and he's in. I can't remember where he is over here, but he's on the Sonoma side now. Okay. Um, Everybody so. has a passion project going. I mean, well, some- currently there's, a, you know, there's a pendulum, right? Like there's times when th- this isn't as um, prevalent. And now we're right now in a time where it is really prevalent. And, and I find that really fascinating because, you know, 15 years ago, people weren't really allowed to have a side project. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something Not that as a winemaker yes. you were allowed to do, right? And the, the wine industry, this is just my own thought about it, but the wine industry notoriously pays pretty terribly. Yep. And so I think as like uh, incentivizing pe- people to stay on, it was like it kind of became like a um, a learning project, but also, you know, oh, we, I can't pay you anymore, but you can make your little project here. Right. You know, and then. And at this point, frankly, I think it's become a bit of a liquid resume because it is so hard to find a winemaker job now. We have more people coming in, working in cellars and working on the winemaking side since we have so many awesome programs um, across the country to, for people to get you know, degrees in, in VIT. There's more people now that are graduating than there are jobs. And so for like a, a full to get the full W on your resume is difficult but if you have your own brand, you can kind of say, like, this is what I actually can do. Right. So I think there, there's there, both of those things happen. So people can make these projects because they usually can crush for free where they work. Right. And that's Pull the, glass the real from where they work. sticking point is, <laughs> you know, the, those kind is of the sharing the costs. Correct. So, like, we've had on some people, for, you know, Pax Maley has sort of a little incubator program totally. going on. Over. We've had Rosalind Reynolds on, and we've had Patrick Capiello. Yeah. Um, and then Morgan Twain Peterson is good about that at Bedrock, He's too, incredible. With Bird Horse. And, yes. Um, yeah, allowing people to kind of... Vela's another thing. one that's Isn't been that in, where like, Desire Lines place. came from, too? Bedrock? Yep, yeah, Cody. And I, and I think it... it keeps people on yes, too like 100%. if they can continue to make their wines and then work for you and now yeah. you have this highly qualified person that's staying you know on it there. also is really smart to be frank on it's smart on the owner side as well because now you have somebody who knows how to file with ttb you know you have somebody who knows how to do taxes you know all have somebody that knows how to like parts. do all the crappy parts instead of just yeah. you know putting stuff into barrels totally. you know someone who knows how to run a business more and that hasn't been something that's traditionally equated with winemaking yeah. so it is really great <laughs> on that side also but i do see it uh it's partially the financial incentive is part of why this is such a thing that's happening right now and then exactly what is it you do for these brands that you are showcasing so we do um two winemakers a month um that we feature usually three wines per winemaker and then members have an opportunity to buy the wines through us if they want to and we offer really subsidized shipping so it's twenty dollars a case to anywhere in the country insane which is insane that's right i'm crazy and uh, and then during these hot summer months also super crazy forty dollars to anywhere in the country um temperature controlled or whatever the safe shipping solution is which is also pretty ridiculous um yeah. you're but really subsidizing that i heavily subsidize yeah. i don't think people the, really understand what the shipping 
no. the burden it is to a small winery. Massive. Shipping. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is It is not only soul-crushing, but it is financially crushing. Correct. Um, to the point of almost not being sustainable. You yeah. Know, as a business. yeah. It's about, uh, to like New York or to New Jersey, for example, yeah. to New Jersey for the, my, safe I like to shipping. Call it the motherland. To the, mo- <laughs> to, to the motherland to ship a case of wine in these hot summer months is about $170. Holy yep. crap. Correct. What are you guys going to do when UPS goes on strike? Well, John. I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking. We've, we've been actually in our weekly meetings for the past, I feel like two or three months, have been talking about that. I mean, luckily or unluckily for us right now, we're not able to ship anything from Texas to New Orleans. I mean, we're shipping cans and boxes, but we're not shipping bottles yeah. at all. Yeah. So yeah. we're hoping by the time it cools down, that they'll have figured out whatever it is um, is going on, but um, oh, we have Sam Katuri coming over. Oh, he he, pro- I doubt. Maybe he, once once you open the third bottle out. of Riesling, Sam will <laughs> yeah, like float the, over the on a cloud. Hi, Sam. Um, <laughs> okay, so d- Tyler, let's talk about Ricci Vineyards. I mean, b- yeah, obviously, if Bart Hansen was offered this wine, Bart's oldest dirt so he's probably <laughs> you know he the, the vineyard must have been around for a while how did the whole yeah vineyards I'm, get I'm, started and i'm sure you know the whole history yeah i mean you know not every little minute detail like my dad would but you know i've heard it countless times uh at this point so uh dale Ricci, my dad he um he grew up in sonoma you know multi-generation uh just living here in sonoma um and his family were always ranchers, farmers, uh, mostly in the dairy business, which in Carneros, you know, in their, you know, early 1900s, is all, all it was was dairies, grazing land, sheep, um, you know, hay production. There was really no vineyards to speak of. Um, but my dad, he, in the early 70s, he had some family land that he wanted to convert into a vineyard. Um, and... Uh, he went to banks looking for financing to try and get this project underway. And all the banks that he went to basically laughed him out of the the room. They're like, you're, you're crazy. You can't grow grapes in Carneros. It's too cold. Yeah. It's too, there's too much fog, too much wind, uh, and nothing's going to be viable. Um, and you're, you're a crazy person. So, uh, you know, he was not going to be uh, told no. So he basically said, well, well, actually, let me take a step back. He didn't say F you to the banks at first. He did take their money, but not to grow grapes. He decided to grow kiwis. Okay, and you're going to have to explain this whole thing because <laughs> yeah. Tara was talking about it earlier, but this yeah. is so wacky. And and also, just to throw this out here, if Dale were here, this story probably would not be told because he hates talking about kiwis. He loathes kiwis. He doesn't eat kiwis. He doesn't buy kiwis. He hates like, people from New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All those things. Um, so, yeah, the bank said, you know, we won't go give you a loan to grow grapes, wine grapes. But I guess for whatever reason, kiwis were big in the early to mid 70s. I, I, I mean, I grew up here. I'd never heard that before. I've never yeah. seen a kiwi growing around I, here. Who knows? Maybe okay. he has like more details. But yeah. um, so he, he took this this bank loan, started growing kiwis. He, there was some nursery up in... Uh, near Chico that was growing kiwi vines. I think they grow in a vine form. Um, and 
I guess he was supposed to get these really mature plants. They ended up being, instead of like f- six feet tall, they were like six inches tall. <laughs> and it was, uh, there was some kind of embezzlement scheme with this nursery, and there was a lot of shady shit going down. And um, But he took these plants, and he, and he planted them. And there was, I can't remember the exact year, but it was a heavy, heavy rain year. And the kiwis basically were just drowning in water, wow. root rot, not growing. Um, and then the next year, or maybe maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it was like, first it was drought, and then it was heavy rains. And these vines, these kiwi vines, just never were able to do anything. So eventually, he just took his mower, and he just, yeah. just mowed them all down. With fury. With fury, yeah. <laughs> Swearing the whole time in his, you know, fake Italian. You know, the three words of Italian, you know, those are all swear words. Um, so... Anyway, so he said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do the vineyard like I wanted to do. Uh, so he took out all the kiwis. He went around to other vineyard sites in Sonoma and Napa and just basically it was like this, I call him a scavenger, vulture, if you will. He would like say, hey, you know, do you have any discarded end posts? Do you have any irrigation tubing I can repurpose? Um, you know, and he started propagating his own vines in his, in his nursery so, you know, a, he was kind of planning out his blocks or his vineyard block by block uh, and slowly kind of growing it out till it got to about 60 acres. Um, wow. Yeah. So it really successful, kind of a cool story of like, you know. Perseverance, man. Perseverance yeah. and DIY and all that, uh, which kind of like plays into the own root thing, you know, like all these winemakers saying, no, you know what? Screw the establishment. I'm going to do things on my own because I want to, and it's a labor of love and all that. So um, so that was his first vineyard was 60 acres, and then a neighboring parcel of land his uncle um, had owned and operated as a dairy for about 60 years. I, actually, it was a little bit longer than that. It started in, like, 1913. His grandfather started the dairy, and then his uncle took it over in the 50s, and it was operated as a dairy until 1985 or 6. And then his uncle retired, and uh, it was his vacant land for about 10 years. And my dad approached his uncle's family and said, you know, um, love to buy the old dairy. It, you know, the cows were all gone. It was just bare, you know, beautiful, fertile land. And he was like, I want to, you know, plant vineyards. So... He bought that in 96 and planted in 97. So now between the two parcels, we have about 220 acres in total. Wow. And what did he originally plant um, with that kiwi compost? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good question, which I think he could probably answer because I, yeah. I don't know the answer to that one. So I'm just wondering, um, like we think of Carneros and we think of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Sure, yeah, I don't yeah. know that necessarily I, that was what was planted by people I, and back then well i do know that he wanted specifically wanted to grow white wine grapes when he was starting the operation so whether it was chardonnay i think it was chardonnay um he started with that but through the years he's always kind of experimented with different stuff you know saint laurent was not the first kind of like foray into the experimental you know uh, varietals he was growing you know cool weather syrah uh, merlot uh grenache like all sorts of cool shit. Um, he had some semion at one point, um, you know, and they've all kind of gradually have been phased out uh, for various reasons. You know, the Merlot market tanked, you know, and like he was really pissed because he loves Merlot. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I love. Mer- I think everybody loves Merlot. When it's well, now my done favorite right. Merlot comes from Carneros. There you go, Joel Peterson, the, the yeah. once and future Merlot. I absolutely yeah. love. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we're uh, we're kind of getting back into kind of introducing some of those varietals again. You know, the the Syrahs. I don't think we're going to grow any Merlot this time around, but you know, um, do you have wells on that farm? We do. There is. Um, there's an existing well from the dairy days, um, but on the original 60-acre parcel, uh, there is a pretty substantial reservoir. Um, okay. And then we do a lot of irrigation because, you know, you can't in Carneros, you can't do any dry farming. It's the soil's not right for it. So um, we also do a lot of reclaimed water irrigation through the county. So, you know, turning gray water, you know, and getting it filtered and irrigating with that. Yeah. So uh, my dad was kind of like one of the leading pioneers of – that movement is like kind of contracting with the county and figuring out, you know, how can we reuse or reclaim this water and use it for agricultural purposes. So. I guess it was Trouchard that was having so much trouble putting down a well because everything came up with lots of salinity. Yeah, it's very brackish water because yeah. you're so close to you're so well, you're close right to San Pablo. On the, on so, the bay, yeah. that's it, man. Yeah. So, were they, so at this point, are you selling most of the grapes to? Are you selling large? blocks of the grapes to larger wineries or are you pretty much breaking it up to smaller producers um you know it's we have some evergreen contracts um from some you know medium-sized wineries in in the area um but you know with a lot of producers the contracts it kind of it ebbs and flows like you have a contract for number of vintages with uh some winery and then you know there might be a, a changeover with the winemaker or the, you know, the company might decide to go in a different direction. So we've had a lot of different, um, you know, producers, uh, wineries that we've sold to throughout the years. And I like to say that if there's a winery out there that's made a Carnero Chardonnay or Pinot in the last, you know, 40 years, chances are my dad has sold to them at some point. So, um, but yeah, you know, like right now, I don't know. Are we allowed to throw out names here? Absolutely. Yeah, um, so Ron Bauer, uh, they they buy the majority of our Chardonnay. Um, you know, Pinot is kind of hard to move at this point. There's a lot of excess Pinot that we can't find a home for quite yet. So if anybody listening to this needs some Pinot, yeah. can can line you up. But um, yeah, you know, it's um, it's always changing. Yeah. No Pinot for you? No, no, no. Shalini's got in her head that she's going to get more from you i can see your wheels turning oh okay maybe i should be looking over that direction we'll talk we'll talk numbers after well, this perfect. Shall yeah. we shaker let's talk about your start in the in the wine industry or how you i mean how does a girl from new jersey uh end up making wine in california you know the simple answer to that is i've always been the black sheep indian um okay. <laughs> uh, i i studied uh music education and um got my master's in music performance and wait so what were you, what you playing what were, yeah what were you playing uh the piccolo see check out check oh, out cool. my ball wait asking, a minute you were asking earlier did you bring, about it right did you bring one uh, an actual play? piccolo to yeah. play don't you travel with one you know you there used to be a day i did travel with one no i did not bring it today so one no, day i'll serenade you no today pic- is not no that piccolo day. solos no piccolo solo but that is <laughs> The reference on the label, it does kind of look like a very uh, graphical vine, but it's right. actually a fingering chart. There it's you go. Piccolo. The piccolo is in Italian called the ottavino, um, the little octave, um, because it's an octave higher than the flute. 
Uh, and so my career has been uh, making small production wines. So like little flute, little lots of wine. So that's where the that's where the name came from. But yeah, how the hell did I do this? Um, I moved to California <laughs> on a on a whim with my husband. Uh, I married my high school sweetheart. We I finished my master's in New York City. We moved to the Burbs. We were in our 20s. We were like, what the hell are we doing here? Wait, so where did you move to? Um, so actually a town over from where I grew up, which is crazy. So we lived, uh, we moved from when I finished NYU to Hillsborough, New Jersey, which I can oh. tell you is very different than Hillsborough, California, although <laughs> not as much anymore. It's, 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 it's a different place. But um, we bought like a little townhouse. Uh, we were living a very suburban life. I was teaching at um, Princeton Day School and I was teaching at Mercer County College at night. And I was teaching private lessons on the side, and I was auditioning for symphonies. And so it was like work, 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 work. But we basically spent every weekend in New York City literally couch surfing. So we were like these married people couch surfing because we wanted to go clubbing. Yeah. This is like, I can't <laughs> hey, make this up. That's what you do in the city. That's what man. you do when you're yeah. in your 20s. And so we were like, what are we doing in the burbs? We have to go somewhere. Well, let's go to Europe. So we thought about moving to Europe. My husband even started getting a transfer. Um, within the company to go to London because it would be this great like hopping off place and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do because I probably wouldn't be allowed to work uh, but we're like who cares we'll figure that out um, and then in the meantime friends kind of said there's a promotion you should think about coming to California come interview and he had an offer like two days later and he said what do you think about California I go, well I'm not gonna live in San Jose no offense San Jose I will live in San Jose in the city now but like back then it was more the suburbs where where he would have been working is, and then is he in tech then why would he, it yeah he was okay. in tech he worked for Cisco back in okay. the day and I was like I'm not gonna live in Milpitas that's like that's the same thing as what we're trying to escape. One of the cities. So he, he said, okay, I'll do the commute. San Francisco it is. And I said, you want to go? I said, yeah, let's do it. So we got here and I was like, I don't have a teaching job. And what and year the whole is this? Different. It's 2005. Okay. And so I thought, okay, well, huh, what do I do now? I loved wine. I had fallen in love with wine in undergrad. I kind of got this ridiculous reputation uh, nickname. Uh, I did not go to Princeton University. Uh, what was this school very close by. They, they called me Princeton because I would I would like somehow hustle someone to go to Princeton to this really great Italian restaurant for the prefix menu every like Thursday night. Um, I would like convince somebody that they would sp spend their like hard earned 20 bucks to go with me. Um, and so and then at some point they all figured out that I was like hustling and, and I was going every week and like making someone go with me. And so they were like, all right, Princeton. I was like, Damn. <laughs> yeah, right. So um so we, our first wine tasting trip was actually to the Rhone Valley, um, and that was when we were still out east. And then when we came here, nice. I, was like, I didn't know anything about California. Where did wine. you go? Do you remember? Um, I do very, very, very much. We stayed in the town, this village, I don't know, Hamlet of Suzette. Um, we traveled through Gigonda, Vaquera, oh, yeah. um, Chateauneuf. Um, so we were really just in that like very southern Rhone yeah. um, part, and Lirac, um, Tavel. Yeah, and it was like the days where you just like go knock on the doors and just be like, uh, you know, I can't. Uh, by the way, I, I speak Spanish, not French. Um, Actually, your French is way better. Than is it? My Did we discuss French, this? English, it's not and good. Spanish. It's not so, good. Yeah. My daughter like rolls her eyes at my accent. Yeah. Um, but we basically would like knock on doors and say like, hey, we want to taste some wine. Uh, and so that was my first experience with with really loving wine but then moved out here and didn't know you know my ass from my elbow about california wine and um we go tasting on fridays with my husband because i didn't have a job i didn't know what the hell i was doing and that was at least something joyful and uh somebody finally in napa said like 
yeah, um, uh, I'm the winemaker, but this is my my wife's uh, family's vineyard. And I was like, well, shit, I'm married already, so that's that's out out the door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and but he goes, you know, there's a website, winejobs.com. And so we're on the way home, and my husband's like, you should go on there and like get a tasting room job. I'm like, I don't know anything. He goes, you should just do it. It'll meet people. It'll be great. And I ended up getting a tasting room job at Rosenblum Cellars. So that, oh, hence that's the, bag. the connection. Hence the there bag. You go. My wine, my my wine yeah. bag. It's a relic. It's a piece of history. Right. Um, and so it was lovely. It was like a family-owned winery, and it was yeah. just this. It was actually the most diverse place I have ever worked in the wine business. And I'm still mm. friends with lots of the people I worked with there. Um, they were my first friends in California. What um, do you think that was? What, the diversity? You, yeah. We're in Alameda, California. Oh, okay. And so, Kent, okay. Kent and Kathy, I mean, Kent, God bless them, like, that family is so non-judgmental, yeah, so totally. warm. You know, he was like, he was just such a lover of wine and uh, life and, life people, and yeah. joyful yeah. and people. And they just, every, anybody and everybody was always welcome. And that was definitely, you know... Talk about starting in direct to consumer and having some idea of sales and hospitality. Every single person was welcome to walk in as you were, however you came. You know, yeah. show up, drink what you like, don't drink, don't drink what you don't. That's that. Um, so it was a really lovely place to kind of dip the toes into the to the winemaking world. Yeah. Um, and I did that uh, a couple years in the tasting room while I was still auditioning for symphonies. Um, for San Francisco and not uh, San Francisco. Oh, I flew to okay. Vancouver. I San, flew San to Jose? Chicago. Oh, man. Uh, no, you know, unfortunately, yeah. there's only about 50 piccolo jobs in in the country in Canada. So you basically wait for. This is very sad, but it's true. You wait for someone to die, and then like 250 of you roll up, and all of you are qualified. And right. so you pay play like three notes if you're lucky. And if so you're, you're actually looking at the obituaries. It's a little. It's a little. It's a little morose. It's a little morose. Like oh. Dan died. It's, uh, <laughs> Chicago like, could use you. Seriously. Chicago was great. Uh, I auditioned there a lot. I did Vancouver. Um, never won a job, but in the meantime, I kind of really got bitten by the wine bug, not just from loving it, but I was like, "Oh, winemaking is kind of interesting." And so I would go and bug my buddies in the cellar. Like I'd go back there and be like, what "At Rosenblum?" Yeah, I was like, "What are you no. guys doing back here?" And like my my one buddy was in the lab. He was he was the enologist. And I, Hey, he's like, oh, I could show you how to like check free free SO2s. And, you know, one of my buddies goes, you go, dig out a tank. Go ahead and dig out right. a tank. And I'm wearing like heels and a blazer and my nails are done. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm in. Like, cause I'm a kind of, I was like a goalie in field hockey. Like I'm kind of, a, I'm brute force. I have no finesse whatsoever. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to dig a tank out. I got in this tank after work one day and like dug it out. And I was like sweaty and covered in wine and grapes and every part of it or everything. And I was like, this is the best. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't think I would survive it, but I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. And so I really did. Like I decided to work harvest. So I quit I quit as a full-time employee and I became a harvest intern at Rosenblum. Yeah. Worked the cellar, survived, worked the rest of the year, went back to school at night because of course I had a winemaking degree and like almost a physics minor. So I had like none of the classes you need for winemaking. So I would uh, work all day and then I would go to JC at night and do biology and um, inorganic chemistry and eventually I went back to Fresno State um, full time and did the they have a certificate program which is basically the the major courses. You're you're a bulldog, huh? I'm a bulldog. Go dogs, to yeah. say the least. <laughs> yeah, more ones than Just getting started yeah. on that. But yeah. I meet so many cellar rats who are so happy doing what they're doing it's just like i'm going there but i'm doing this and i'm really master this and you know it's like learning a craft truly an art i think well you go ahead uh yeah i mean john you you nailed it like 
a piccolo musician, an artist, uh, you know, I, I forgot to mention. So Dale, he, you know, uh, TJ has met him. He's a, a big farmer. He, he fits a part of like, you know, he's out in the field every day, all he's day. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's a good dude. But um, he didn't, he started off um, going to school to be a photographer. So he went to um, huh. Brooks Institute, which is no longer around down in Santa Barbara, which was really renowned at the time for, um, you know, videography, filmmaking, photography. And then he got his master's in art at San Francisco State, um, and he was teaching photography at the Santa Rosa Junior College for cool. 30 years. Wow. So he has, like, you know, this big, gruff farmer has this, like, crazy artistic eye, and I've always loved photography, and I do all the the photos for the, the Ricci labels. Well done, by the way. Oh, thank yep. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I take these pictures and I show him and he's like, oh, your contrast is wrong here. No, you know, like you want to maybe, uh, adjust for this. And I'm like, dude, this is already printed. These are already going on the wine bottles. Like we're, we're past the critique phase, but, um, but like to the point I was trying to get at is like, I think there's like a very common denominator in, in the wine industry is you have a lot of artistic minds and more ways than one are just like drawn into, you know, making wine and being, in this industry because it is like a very like i don't know artistic minded field i guess yeah so but and then tactile it is right? yeah. yeah that too you know my husband always says because he he now works in venture and um so he's like part of creating young companies right and guiding that process so i think that's like super fulfilling to him but he's like but you like literally make something you get every to touch day, shit right and get yeah. dirty Which is, right we realized when we had kids it was so easy to explain what does mommy do like mommy makes wine Right? right. Or like, what did you, they asked me, like we have, you know, our dinner conversations, mom, what'd you do today? I topped barrels guys. I wasn't that excited. Like <laughs> I topped barrels. I don't know. I did punch downs. Um, but they actually know what that means. Yeah. Whereas like, I think my husband tried to explain like early on, our daughter's older now. She actually does understand what he does. But early on, he explained to her how they like, they help growing new companies and new ideas. Uh, actually like grow their company and and achieve it and, and give you a product and and they give the money and so basically she was something along the lines so she's like yeah daddy um daddy like makes money or daddy gives daddy daddy like spends money or something it was something like very <laughs> basic um and it totally missed the point she, she was probably like thank god for mommy because mommy has a job and daddy is like not doing anything well right, right which is like the hilarious right. part right because right. i was terrified and said what <laughs> we are rich as winemakers right yeah mm -hmm. the soul is rich yes that's right the bank account not so much that's right. a great comment yeah the you soul mind is if rich. i steal that the yeah. soul Please. is rich soul yeah is that's rich. great but my mother was the one who actually told me to go for it with pursuing music initially because my my dad I love my dad I'm very much him in so many ways but my dad also like had you know they were immigrants and they came from they really built their entire lives you're second generation I'm, yeah, yeah 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 I'm the uh, you know my sister and I are the first ones born here in the states yeah. my parents came here in their 20s my dad literally came with like a loan he didn't come for his degree he already had his degree he came to work he worked in like the mail room with a master's degree I mean it's like it's pretty it's very typical, you know, American dream kind of story. But, you know, he always had the, like, I get that you're good at this and that you love it, but, like, maybe take one comp one, one comp side course on the side, maybe. Yeah. And my mom was like, can you pay your bills? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I'm not going to be rich, but I could pay my bills as a teacher. 
uh, at least on the East Coast. <laughs> and so she, so she was like, I think you should do that. You know, wake up happy every day because she's like, I'm not happy every day. You know, I, I, she, she did the countdown for the last four years to retirement and they had different, different obligations, you know, being new in the country. And so we like, we are built on the backs of that and we have that privilege. Yeah. But, um, I hope my kids will do something more lucrative than I do, but I, I guess I would understand it if they felt the calling to do something super creative, but like could provide them for themselves in whatever existence that would have to be. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's nice when you can do both, but it's nice when you are passionate about something, do that. And by the way, you can also pay your bills or yeah. even save up. Do you have you a love. 401k. Yeah. But, do what you um, love, you never work. That's what they that's say. That's the old that's saying, That's what they right? say. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> I, it's, Come on, it's By true, the way, though. winemaking is a ton of work. Um, yeah. But like, but that to be that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for something else. And I have a taste of corporate America. I did do like corporate temping when I was an undergrad, and it was so soul sucking to me. And yes. I understand. I have other people have a different viewpoint. Lots of people either like it or if they don't like it, they're fine because they ca- like they clock out at five thirty. They sign off and then they have a life. Right. And so I understand both of those things, but the entire day sitting in an office, yeah. lit, I felt my soul dying. And I was like, yeah. I knew if it wasn't music, if it, if I had to do something, I didn't, at the time, I didn't think there were. What ever did you else. temp in? Uh, Jersey's full of telecom and pharmaceutical. Okay. Yeah. I did lots of like data entry and little data analysis and answering phones. You know, it was like yeah. 20 years old and it was good money. It was good yeah. money. And I just was like, nope, I couldn't, I can't make that trade. No. I did that, John, when I was, I always, I grew up working in restaurants. So it was from the time I was 15, dishwasher, bus, busser, server. And at when I was 19, one of our really good customers at a restaurant in Petaluma said, um, you'd be really good at this job. I work for um, Macy's Magazine in the advertising department. We're looking for a person to work in traffic. It's a six-month temporary position, but I think you'd be really good at it. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I mean, I'd love to try new things. So get the, the suit and go work. And so traffic, you're in between the, the copy people, the photographers, the you know, it's an it's important the, you're position, like, Brian. But you're you're the person that like has to go from department to department, and I remember everyone talking shit about each other in the other departments, complaining <laughs> about the other people how this wasn't right and that wasn't right. And working in a restaurant, you were like, you worked hard sometimes, but you all hung out together mm-hmm. after work and you had a good time. And and I and the work environment was, and I thought to myself i'm 19 i've been working with adults who have a great time and now i'm working with these adults who are always bitching about each other and thought that is for sure not the life that i wanted to lead and i got offered to stay on after the six-month temporary position i told him go shove that um, <laughs> job yeah. and i went back well, to restaurants yeah, you know, and shove it, it was know, not on, on the me. other hand having owned an ad agency in chicago yeah. new york i mean everybody partied together at the well, end see, and this everybody is a different talked shit time about you know too, the creatives when, didn't yeah. do this and the copy it sucks and, but you know it's all good banter and stuff anyway yeah. John, it's were, fun, were you fun like game. a Don Draper? Yeah, that's I, I got that full vibe just now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what we did. John uh-huh. is a four <laughs> martini lunch um, <laughs> alumnus. Well, geez, guys, let's yeah. catch up here. Let's yeah. go. I, know, that's what, <laughs> I He's got an grab, empty wine glass, though. I want to grab yeah. your wine from next door, but in the meantime, Tara, will you just talk about the first Riesling that we had, mm-hmm. and then we'll yeah, that was we'll sort delicious. of get caught up on the wines? Mm-hmm. I've never had a Riesling like that. 
Okay, That's great. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful, right? Yeah. Okay, so I I brought three Rieslings because I have I have been uh, very very interested in what California can do with Riesling, and I feel like the um, there's a joke about it's the joke's actually about Syrah, but I feel like you could tell it about Riesling in the wine industry of like what is harder to get rid of than uh, syphilis. <laughs> Syrah, <laughs> uh, because God. Syrah is notoriously really hard to sell. Uh, but Riesling suffers from a similar problem um, where, uh, you know, people think that Riesling is going to be really sweet or they think that it has to be uh, very old world, like, you know, with these really high notes of petrol. And, uh, you know, I think people in the industry really love Riesling, but getting Riesling out there into the world has become this kind of mission for me of talking about what California can really produce. Um, okay, so what a label! The no- it's I, beautiful. I right? just put it in my glass. That. This nose. Okay, I'm. I know people are like deeply passionate about riesling. I'm deeply passionate about Austrian riesling in particular. Uh huh. Oh boy. And like that, just okay. Could all be, could you're be a gonna like all three nose. of these. I promise. Could be a ringer. Um, this is Elkins, and um, so Matt and his brother. Uh, he's now the winemaker at uh, Tyler Winery down in Santa Barbara. And uh, this is from Chileno Valley, right in Petaluma. So, uh, you know, super cool, like the that that Petaluma gap that like the wind just screams through. So really a cold climate. The, the first two are cold climate. Um, the last one is a little less so. Um, but, I, you know, bone dry. This wine is bone yeah. dry. It's not, I think this is something you can drink all the time. All of these wines are wines that you don't have to have um, a lot of food with you. Don't, you know, the, you can really just enjoy. You can certainly pair them with a lot of different wide spectrum range of foods. But like, yeah. you know, I think I don't. Know, I just want to talk about riesling all the time, and I want to talk about why it can be made so beautifully in California. And we have this like kiss of sunshine that, like to your point, like Austrian rieslings, and I think like a, most for the most part, like an old world riesling has. Um, I shouldn't say it that way. I should say California Riesling has a kiss of sunshine to it that I think old world um, Rieslings don't carry. Like because we have hotter temperatures, there's like this brightness and like a, um, a lift that California Rieslings have that just makes them super approachable and refreshing and bright and sunny and I freaking love them. So yeah, this is the first one that I wanted to share. This one and the, the last one we'll taste are on own route right now in our summer six packet, which I somebody was like, that's stupid. You're putting two Rieslings in a six pack, but they're vastly different. So um, to me, like encouraging this conversation around Riesling is super exciting. What do you think? I, I love it. And on, on the topic, Riesling is one of the grapes we're going to be growing in the vineyard. Wow. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you just said it's impossible to sell, so that doesn't bode well. It, but no, I think it's. I think I. You know, listen, I'm screaming from the mountaintops, and I think other people are too. And I think it is starting to become something that you know people are are becoming more aware that this is something that doesn't have to be like a sweet, right? Or mm-hmm. like, thank you, yeah. yeah. Or you. I mean, this is this wine is very dry. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but at the same time, the fruit is so beautiful, and so we're beautiful. so we're finding that with. Viognier here is that we can introduce people to a unique varietal, introduce people that sometimes aren't necessarily even like daily wine drinkers mm-hmm. like us, but when they bury their nose into it, it's pleasurable. And then, w- and then when they try it, 
they're sort of expecting something to be sweet, but then it's a bone dry wine. So then their mouth starts to water. Mm -hmm. They're like salivating and they're like, holy shit. I had no idea that I loved Wagner or whatever the fuck you guys call it. <laughs> yeah. um, but you kind of get them. It's a great gateway drug. Riesling, yes. I think, is in the same vein. It's like you get someone, I mean, and Hooked. people who know everything about wine love Riesling. Yes. And people who know nothing about wine generally love Riesling, yes. too. Yeah. I also love when somebody's like, oh, I don't really care about Riesling. And then they taste one and they're like, oh, wait, this is Riesling? Oh, yeah. oh. I just did. I was amazed. I, love I was expecting, look, my first wife, German family, very cheap, drank Wedding Veil and Blue Nun, and I hated it. So when I got to France the first time in 87, I had never had anything but. I was in Bordeaux area. Uh, we went to Le Mans. And, and tasting Bordeaux, the first glass of wine, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, totally. You know, and but this is beautiful. I love this stuff. Oh, John, wait till you try this one. Yeah. I'm about to. So the next one is um, from this woman, Janie Wilhelm, who she's um, one of the assistant winemakers at Desperada and Herman Story down in Paso. Yeah. Uh, another great incubator site. Like a lot of people, they're very supportive of their people starting brands. And we've um, had several of the people that work for them on Own Root, which is awesome. But they just have a great culture and great people. And so this is her first vintage. And um, it is, I mean, it's from, I'm going to say it wrong, Coquico. Thank you. Coquico uh, Vineyard <laughs> in uh, Los Olivos, which is like between Ballard and Happy Canyon. So super, super cold. You know, they have. Like that whole mountain range is the only one in the in, I think the country that goes east to west. So super super cold winds. Mm. The really cold vineyard also farmed organically. All three of these, um, and I think this one's just like Kumquat City, man. It's like it is so just good. Not just the aromas, but then you put it in your mouth and the 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 finish on it. You're just it's so good. I get a taste of pears, like a Bartlett mm -hmm. pear, a yellow one. It's pear on the beginning of the palate. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Beautiful stuff. Uh, oh, right? That's, that's highly, highly yeah. educational so and entertaining yeah. for me. So she's a badass. She's actually changing the name, um, but I, I'm bummed because these labels, I think, are some of the coolest I've ever seen. They have yeah, you got the orangutan orangutans on there. and leopards and snakes and toucans and yeah. What's um, up with that? Yeah, she has an artist <laughs> friend who like okay. you know felt the vibe of yeah, it's the like line a jungle book kind of yeah. vibe to it. It yeah. makes you want to like, you know, be someplace tropical or maybe just by your pool, <laughs> just like, you know, pound this by the pool. I would pound this by the pool. Yeah. Patio Again, pounder, doesn't man. super need food, but like could pair with a million things. Yeah. No, I super would refreshing. this entire bottle if you let me. Right? Yeah. Right now. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, hold on. We got a few more bottles on the table that John's we got to get to. John's more of an expert to. at this, I think, than everybody yeah. else. Okay. So we'll do the. We'll, we can do the last riesling, and then my riesling diatribe can wrap up. But so this this wine, I think actually I brought the last vintage of this on when I was on last time. And but it's this a different vineyard. vineyard. Is uh, oh okay. So they didn't source from Wurtz except for this vintage, uh, where they used to source from. Uh, they couldn't get fruit for this vintage. And so um, Nicole Walsh, who um, is one of the people who makes Riesling oh, out of, yeah, she makes Sarah out of um, the Wurtz Vineyard, which has become like a very well-known vineyard because of um, the Cabernet Pfeffer, but it has the oldest Riesling vines, uh, as far as we know, in California, uh, own-rooted, head-trained, like Pat Wurtz's. Talk about like your dad, be, Tyler, being like old salty farmer. Pat Wirtz was born on a tractor <laughs> yeah. and like is he is old school. 
And um, like he doesn't put up a deer fence. He just like puts on an alarm and goes out and chases the deer off on his own. <laughs> He's got a shotgun. <laughs> For real. Uh. Um, and so I wanted to bring this back because this vintage is from the Wurtz Vineyard and I think is to me like one of the m- highest uh, regarded vineyards for Riesling. And this really shows what it can do because it is... Wait till you put your nose in this one, Shalini. It yeah. is. Uh, okay. All right. It's Get a knock your socks out. Stealing myself. Yeah. Is that the nickname? Do you go by that? Shally by short for short. Oh. Snow? Short usually shawl. Shawl. Yeah. Okay. But I don't go there initially. Just you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get there naturally. You gotta earn it. You gotta get there. A few glasses of wine. Oh, Hopefully, I'll yeah, get there later. <laughs> there have been quite a few uh, winery crews that I've just been by my last name. You know. Which is funny to me because again, it's super. Hey, Shaker. Shaker. It's kind of a cool name. I mean, it's not kind of cool. It is cool. I mean, Shaker booty. I did. I did once get really hurt during harvest, and they did call me Shake and Break. But um, but I, <laughs> but I, but I still did show up the. I showed up the lab crew. Shout out, guys. Oh my god, uh, you have me thinking crew. about fried chicken, and I'm like thinking about this. These wines with fried chicken. And oh, I'm there you Losing go. my mind. Did you try this one? Uh, not yet. Okay, here you go. I am. On the list, though. So these guys, this is um, a, this is actually the brand that made me start Own Root Collective, um, because and which they, is it? It's called Found, yeah. um, and Andy and Mabel. Um, Andy was the assistant winemaker at White Rock, and Mabel most recently was the um, assistant winemaker, or maybe the winemaker associate winemaker at Groth. Uh, but they both just packed it all up and moved to Indiana, where his family has a winery. And um, so they're going to continue this project. They make Riesling and Mission because she's from Chile and so they, Pais. And so they make a killer mission also. Um, But they've moved to Indiana and uh, yeah, I'm going to miss them terribly. (laughs) And so wait, so they're going to stop making wine? No, no, no. They're going to make wine and then just come out here. They'll come out for harvest harvest and make this. So they can still make it at White Rock Vineyards where Andy was the winemaker, which is how I originally. Very cool. And so all three of these wines. I mean, can you find these in the stores or these? No, are, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I mean, twenty-five <laughs> cases, fifty not. cases, and I think twenty-five cases. Ooh. So right? I mean, these are like nice. a barrel, a right? Wow. You know, or so each. Maybe. Know, two you're talking half each. a ton, ton on yeah, some these, which is crazy. Um, wines. Yeah. yeah, that's that's it. So yeah. I mean, you can find them. Like, she doesn't have a website. They both have websites, um, <laughs> but I, I know people. like Found can't ship out of California. So, like, maybe Elkins, you could maybe find... The shit you roll... For those listeners out there, the stuff you really want to get a hold of is is funny to me. Some of the stuff that I really like is stuff where they don't even have a website. It's like you reach out to them, you slide into their DM on Instagram and go, hey... Can I? Where do you live? Is can I like stop by your house and yeah. buy like six <laughs> bottles of wine? That's right. Um, that seems Bru- to be the listeners. New cool feel free model. to ask me yeah. if you can come by and buy a couple <laughs> bottles. Uh, <laughs> Shameless. To, Brian, to your point, I I used to work with uh, Peter Heights, who is the winemaker at Turnbull over mm. in Napa. Yeah. Super cool dude. We're doing Shypoke next month on Unruh. Oh He's yes. He's so great. I was just at Turnbull this week with him. Oh, I. I'm glad that he finally like came around. He doesn't send emails to people. I'm like, how do you sell your wine? You have to fill out an that's, order form. That's what I was like, getting and, at. And, yeah. and like send it in hard copy. He'll yeah. take a fax still. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. I was like, dude, Pete, how do you sell any wine? Nobody's printing this shit it's out. incredible. Yeah. There but are it, people out there that don't even know what a fax means. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But so Shy Poke, he does really Those cool. Those wines are great. Yeah, I mean, he's making, you know, $200, $300 cabs day-to-day, but his Shypoke, it's Charbonneau, it's Zinfandel, it's kind of like this 
throwback to the way that Napa used to be, you know. Yeah, like, he farms also. I yeah, mean, that he, he farms, farms yeah. He's like a fifth generation land. winemaker, so. 13th. You know, I hear. 13th? 13th generation wow. winemaker. Okay, never. Wait a minute. Let's yeah, do the math the on world, that for a second. That's like 56. I mean, you're talking six, seven hundred years of making wine. That's what yeah. he said. Like, I mean, back to back to the old world. B B C, right? That's like Jesus. Right. Yeah, Jesus. Right around Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's how old that heights. Well, they is. did serve it at the Last <laughs> Supper, right? Yeah. That's what he told me. <laughs> okay, so just just because we're kind of freaking out on these wines, right? Just throw it out right now how people can get a hold of these wines. On Route Collective. And you have all three baby. of these available? Uh, I don't have any more of the Lumina, and she is sold out until the next vintage, but I will okay. have it again because okay. um, people love it. You know what's so awesome is like I've been screaming about Riesling so long that it is probably our best selling variety at own root uh and i also scream about grenache so i feel like uh, i'm so proud of people that have been members of own root for a while because they're listening and they're like okay i'll try it and then they like it and then when i'm like fucking try riesling more um i feel like people are paying attention so it makes me really excited that um it, it also should be noted that everybody should sign up at least for the the free membership <laughs> on your site just to check it out because your emails are brilliant <laughs> <laughs> and I just take joy every time I get one and get to read it. <laughs> Miss awesome. Adorable's walking up, Althea <laughs> Katuri. You look like Katuri. she's having fun today. Hi, Althea. <laughs> you want to sit in on the podcast? Big smile. You want to say hi? Nope, oh, running in the house. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes. She's not here today. Her and her parents went to go see Brit Floyd last night, the Pink Floyd cover band, so she's probably sleeping in. <laughs> oh. oh. She's very tired. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, do you want to explain that more to her? Why why they're so tired? No. I think they were out late she last night. She lives with Sam. Oh, she uh, totally yeah. understands yeah, me. Yeah, it's true. all cool. <laughs> How could you live with Sam and not understand life? <laughs> Tara, to talk about uh, how did you find her wines, and how did you hook up with? Yeah, you. I've, uh, I've worked with both of these guys. Um, so yeah, let's see. How did I find you guys? I, I might have I found you actually. I think I knew somebody. One of my friends who has their brand, and I can't remember who it was, I think um, posted something on Instagram with about Ownroot. And I was like, what the hell is Ownroot? And then I, I started looking into it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I, I emailed TJ and I was like, I don't know if you're interested in, in what we got going on. You know, Reaching kind of explained it. And she's like, yeah. That's like uh, a dream project. Yeah. Richie, I love it. Yeah. And they make a uh, mascot that was like, also knock your socks off. I was going to, I was going to, uh, mention that because like you geek out over our dry muscat and yeah it's kind of like Riesling-esque it's yeah. kind of got some of the same characteristics and it's definitely got that that polarizing you know with like the general consumers they hear muscat and they go yeah. oh yeah dessert wine late harvest wine and it's like no 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 this one's not like that this is going to be like super perfumey and aromatic and like great like spicy food mm. wine and like when people try it they're like Holy shit! I didn't know that muscat could like taste like that. Yeah. So we just had that conversation the other day in the taste room with some people that were in there, and they were from some other part of the country, and they were talking about muscat. And I'm like, oh my god, I love muscat. And they said, seriously? I said, yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. You like oysters, duh. 
<laughs> for sure. So, Tyler, are you guys making any wine at all yourselves? My dad, he used to. It's actually kind of funny. Like, um, he had aspirations probably in the early 90s to start his own winery. Um, but, you know, we had that outbreak of phylloxera and... What uh, was that? Uh, early, late 80s, early 90s. So he had to, like, uh, rip out a whole bunch of vines and replant. Um, and then, you know, he... I did Just being, like, a one-man operation, um, I think he... There was two ways he could have gone. He could have bought his grandfather's dairy and, and grown out the vineyard operation, or he could have stuck with his initial 60 acres and, and started his own winery. And he opted to, you know, plant more vines. And then at that point, being a one-man show, he didn't have the time or the energy to, like, pursue the the winery but he was making you know homemade wine for a long time that's what i was wondering because someone who wants to plant grapes back in the time when he did yeah but then was selling them all it seemed to me that it was like a maybe there was some inkling of wanting to make wine at some yeah point. yeah and he's actually he, wasn't there it was a story about how he was going to put a um winery on the or like a tasting room on one of the main roads and then couldn't do it for some reason like I, I feel like he told me that story that i mean the guy's got tons of stories <laughs> yeah. uh, tara, tara think, spent a little time in the vineyard with him maybe I, I, some stories i love his stories yeah. uh, there was a time i think that he wanted to start um his own little brand but it was like when i mean a this was the vineyard was his side project so he had a full-time job like yeah Tyler teaching said. teaching so photography teaching. so and and then I, I there was something where he wanted to convert a barn into a winery into a tasting room or something and like it became too cost prohibitive for him to turn it all in because of regulations and county stuff I think that yeah. it was like too expensive to do. Well, and that and then the replanting too that was a yeah. major cost that he had to, to take care of. So, um, yeah, uh, the the homemade wine that he makes is is killer. Like we uh, I remember being in college up in Chico, go you know go Wildcats, Chico <laughs> State, woo. Um, <laughs> but I would like come home on breaks and like take all these shiners and be like, Oh, what is all this shit? He's like, Oh, that's all this Merlot I made. And I would bring it up with me, uh, to Chico and share it with my friends. And like, we were by no means wine connoisseurs at the time, but, um, you but you were getting spoiled nonetheless. You were getting spoiled yeah. nonetheless. I mean, we were putting it, you know, we weren't beer balling the wine by, you know, we were actually enjoying it and it was, it was great. Um, so yeah, he he has kind of this hobby winemaker background, um, and who knows? Maybe down the road, maybe we'll have our own little winery set up out there on the on the property. But we're not there yet. Yeah. So. But you can enjoy Ricci tastings there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a friend of the family. Yeah, you know, right? we, we we don't have a tasting room, but we like to fly kind of under the radar for. For people that reach out to me directly, um, we can set up tastings on our on our property. We have a cool little setup, like Vineyard Pond. It's a beautiful place. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank so you. Thank you both. Yeah. Well, tell um, people how to reach out to you, and because we have people that come visit that I'm that like to do sort of more off the beaten path yeah. stuff. Your sixteen six hundred people would also love it out there. It's right. So lovely, and you could totally yeah. bring a sandwich and like hang out, and maybe you'll meet Dale, who's amazing, or Gianna, who's also amazing, and Tyler will host you, who's obviously cool. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't uh, hit amazing. I was just like a step. No, I can't. No, no, no. Amazing, amazing, Solid bronze. Solid bronze. You're right here. I can't like. <laughs> you're right here. I can't blow your head up anymore. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, we we have a cool setup out at the the vineyard. Uh, sweeping views of Carneros, a pond that we sit by. It's kind of rustic. I call it rustic chic. So um, if you email me, Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, at reachyvineyards.com, just shoot me an email and say, hey, I'd love to come out. We can set up a time and and figure it out. Cool. All right, now, from Sears Point, where do you go? Sears Point. So if you're coming uh, south from, like, San Francisco, so you, you know, you... North from San Francisco, right? Right, right. Sorry. Track, yeah. Dyslexic, I guess. Um, going north from San Francisco, so Sears Point, um, when you hit the... Uh, Bonos, the gas station there. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you you veer to the right. You're heading east towards <laughs> Napa. Right. Okay. Um, and a lot of people are familiar with where the Fremont Diner oh, used to be, yeah. and now it's Lou's okay. Luncheonette. It's a really popular, like weekend spot for out of town people. Everyone, yeah, yeah. locals old too. Packed. Um, right after you hit that, the next road, Ramel Road, we're right on Ramel Road. Okay. So, as you're heading east towards Napa, like. If you go to Napa, you've gone too far. So turn around and head back. Are you near Larson? Uh, Larson is a little bit west. So okay, yeah. I mean, that was the first place we ever stopped coming into the valley, and we went out back into the barn, and they had a board. Larson's great. Uh, They're such good people. A board, you know, across a couple of wine barrels, and we just tasted yeah. wine yeah. with their They're dogs. Nice. You know, it was great. They have the three lab cab now, and everything. yeah, so yeah, wonder. But you know, that area is just so it's. It's like when, when you said you were driving through France and you just knock on doors. This was the, the cool thing, I mean, that we found. You could take any road you want. There's a little village at the end. Everybody's super friendly. And any any vineyard, any place you look, pull in, they've got great wine. And yeah. it's, it's just, I mean, it's... It's surprising to me there's not more wineries down there, actually, because the wineries that are down there make great stuff. Like, Bouchain, I think, makes really yeah. good. Yeah, Bouchain, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, Donna, I know, like, is not your dad's favorite, personally, <laughs> for the art, but I like, was uh, those wines are, are, are well-made. And um, yeah. what's the other woman that used to be the winemaker at Donham? Oh, it's uh, Blue Farm. Blue Farm. Yeah, yeah. Molar uh, Rock. Anna Rocky. Anna Molar Rocky, yeah. yeah. I mean, killer, and, and yeah. I mean, the, it. it's surprising there's not more. I, I think people are like. Deep, in the deep area of Carneros. Yeah, I think know? it's like, I mean, of course I'm biased. I think like uh, Carneros is like this last vestige of like this cool, old school, kind yeah. of like no holds barred, Wild West wine tasting. Like you go into Napa <laughs> and it's like, it's glitz and glam. Oh, it's, yeah. you know. Ten million dollar Disneyland. Yeah, four thousand dollar bottles of wine. Yeah. yeah, you know, ten million dollar tasting rooms, and then in Carneros, you're like, what the fuck? Where are we? Like, you know, I, I had a customer who, um, actually, Brian, he comes into uh, here quite a bit. I don't know. He, he always texts me. He's like, I'm at Winery sixteen six hundred. Like Ted Johnson. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Shout, Shout out to out. Ted. Yeah, Ted. Um. The first time he came out to Ricci, he was driving down a driveway, and his partner was like, where are we? Are we going to like get murdered when we right. step out of the car here? And it's like, <laughs> run no, over by just, a cow. Yeah, you're just in Carneros. This is just how we are out here. It's yeah. like, you know. It's, he absolutely loves it out there. And when yeah. he's here, he talks about you guys. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, I love this area because it's like so close for me. Like I'm San Francisco and a little further south based, but I do make wine from Anderson Valley. And part of the charm of up there is is sort of the same vibe of it being like mm -hmm. so laid back, but the quality being so fucking good. Yeah. Um, and like only now are people starting to realize, right? And I think 
somehow in the kind of historical importance and establishment, like people have somehow forgotten Sonoma side of like Carneros. And I don't know why, like what is going on? Like maybe it's a great secret for the people who really care. Yeah. But it's like if all the people, we you know when you go tasting, right? It's just that special experience of like, it's like why wine tastes amazing. Cause you're sitting on a dock in like Sorrento, Italy. And you're like, ah, oh, this is the best like Fiano I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's not the best Fiano you've ever had in your life, but it's like the best Fiano yeah. in that moment. And like you have that, you know, it's that memory. Place, yeah, yeah that, that experiential memory. But I think people forget, like, you can have that super close to home, close to the city, like where you guys are. Yeah. And the quality of the wine's actually damn good. Yeah. <laughs> right? So you get to have the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah. I think people really forget that. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the, pr- like, not to say that the, I mean, you work in that, but like, it's not to say the other side is not like wonderful and a different experience. It is. But like, when you're just talking about us small guys who really like are, like, it's blood, sweat, and tears. You can actually come out and like see your place. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, and my dad, he's, uh, you know, he likes to kind of sit in on every tasting or as many tastings as he can when people come out and like, you know, I'm obviously uh, on the inside, but for people who, you know, come to our property and are hanging out with us, like it's so rare to have this, you know, the owner, the originator of this vineyard, come, the, grower. the grower to come and sit in with people mm-hmm. and just spend two hours mm-hmm. just talking about, you know, growing grapes. You know being a why farmer. he does that? He yeah. loves it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He Passion. loves it. it. He loves it and they love hearing it. And it's just a really cool experience. So, yeah. Uh, it's so different than, you know, going up to a bar and somebody pouring you a half oh, ounce yeah. and say, I'll be right back. You know, totally. yeah. 10 minutes later. And, yeah, it's just it's it takes all the fun out of it when yeah. you do that. Yeah, Shelly, where are you making your wines? So I make my wines and uh, several of my clients in San Francisco. Okay, so this is what I want to get into because great question because I think you mentioned that the other night when we saw you in yeah. San Francisco and who was the gentleman that was next to you? Ed Kurtzman, who I. I think may or may not get a kick out of me saying that he's the OG winemaker of San Francisco. Right. You know, because he, Ed's been there forever. Um, he's also a bulldog. Go, go dogs. Um, <laughs> so I actually met Ed when I was a student at Fresno State. This is, mm-hmm. I can't make this stuff up. I was a grad assistant to two different professors, a microbiology professor. Actually, they're both microbiologists, but one was teaching the microbiology class uh, in winemaking, and the other one um, ran the sensory lab. And so I worked for both of them. Um, both since retired, lovely people. And uh, so Susan Rodriguez, uh, who ran the sensory lab, uh, invited me out to Wait, lunch. Um, tell what's a sensory lab? Oh, so we used to do um, experiments uh, like sensory analysis for various uh, treatments. And we would uh, oftentimes it would be things like Gallo would have like done a study and then they'll put the wine in front of essentially like a bunch of participants. So we would run that study. And collect the sensory data, and so we basically ask people. Wait, wait, to we got to get deeper into this. <laughs> and okay. she needs to meet Hardy Wallace. Okay, <laughs> what does that mean? Gallo did some. So, like, they might have, like, you know, you know, we wouldn't necessarily even know what the treatment was, but it could be something right. like flash pasteurization or something. Something right. I would like, something I wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole as a winemaker. Right. But I, I, again, I make. To Tara's point, like I make the teeniest amount of wine. Yeah. If I was making a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, one million cases yeah, of something, then you, then I you got. Fuck with I, that. Yeah, you gotta. You <laughs> Absolutely. gotta. Because it's gotta be the same. So and we it's hear be the same these stories every now and then, but it's uh, 
Like I know um, Rosalind Reynolds, who has MA Wines, she she just like, by the way, mentioned that she used to work in the lab at Gallo and was talking about oh. how they were coming up with like these different flavors of like cherry and blah, blah. And so we, we were like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. <laughs> Do you mean that you guys were creating like, and she said, I said, did you ever put it in a wine? She goes, no, I worked in the lab. We just came up with this stuff. We didn't do anything with it. But, but I'm thinking, well, then why would you even pay people to come up with this stuff? So oh, I mean, this in this case, this is like they're contracting a university to like do a study where that we've done the treatment, and then how is that perceived by consumers? So there's so, a panel of people that would come in, and they'd right. have some amount of training or control, and then you know we'd set them up on computers, and we have all the samples in front of them. This is all pre you know, preparing all the samples, right. get everything ready, and then they get the feedback, and then that goes back to whoever is running the experiment. So like we're just the sensory lab, we're just Running the so you're actually pouring wines into glasses for these people. They try them, and then they're entering things into the computer about like how it made them feel or if they enjoyed it or whatever. All those things. Taste like, analysis. What, what fruits like did you research, but or like well, how did you perceive right. you know acid or whatever? And so and of right. course like so that that professor like in the terms of the actual program her her job is actually teaching everybody flaws. It's teaching you how to perceive. You know, like for instance, everybody's got their talent tasting. This is a thing. Like one, my one buddy, my counterpart, um, he can nail residual sugar. Like I cannot, I can't, I can't even come close to. Hmm. He will tell you, like he's like, nah, it's like one point three grams. Right. And you're, you're like, right. Hey, Everyone like a does, that does there have their. I can nail thing. TA. Right. I can nail TA all the time, all right. day long. You know, everybody's got their thing that they can just like VA. hone in on. VA. Okay. Yep. See, so, so it's he, like you know what? TA. Nope. For me. <laughs> Is a nope. I mean, I, it's t wine tastes dead, but like some people just like have that. Uh, they'll just and it's so strong. Like, yeah, is that that's, how you, that's how yeah. it has for you? Yeah, as soon as I have it on my palate, I'm like, and then you can kind of cal calibrate against your sugar, and you're like, yeah, that's over six and a half grams per liter, right? Like, I got that, right? So I get that. I feel like I'm eating a sweet tart. Like all of a sudden, I almost feel like a little bit of pain. Oh, like in my gums for some I mean, reason. I mean, give me all of the high acid wine. And to the point that you yeah. were saying earlier, by the way, that Dale was like way into the idea of white varieties. Like I almost made Eau de Vino only white varieties. And my husband, who loves white wine, was like, I think you're going to have a problem selling that. I think you got to make red wine, too. I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't love white reds, but, yeah, you know, the fact that I'm going to bring it back to St. Laurent. The fact that St. Laurent is likely related to Pinot Noir makes so much sense in my world. Okay, we're going to go there. <laughs> but first, we're gonna get first there. I want to know exactly because I want to know exactly where you're making the wine because okay. I think a lot of grapes used to get harvested here in Napa and Sonoma yes. and then were either by railroad yep. or by truck were, were taken to San Francisco mm, where right. then the wine was made, like I'm assuming on the pier somewhere. Cause then it could be like, you could, it was easy delivery system to go wherever yeah. you wanted. So, so we're in the Bayview district. Um, I used to make wine. I was the custom crush winemaker at Roar and that was in the dog patch, um, which is where crush pad used to be back in yeah. the day. I mean, crush pad was started in the mission, then went to the dog patch. So, there's like, there is like a really long history, and of course, Bluxem Street was there for a long time, and there are sort of like no more. Um, Ed Kurtzman's facility, it's a shared facility, so we basically share all the equipment, we share space, uh, we share interns. Uh, but many of us are, you know, we're getting into like the nerdiness of winemaking and compliance, but, you know, we're independent wineries. We're I'm an O2. I hold my own license with the federal government to make wine. So many of us are that, uh, that setup, but we're all in the same building, and we're kind of roommates with each other. Mm -hmm. um, 
and his facility, I think, is the last like substantial. I think there may be one or two very small people doing it like out of their like homes and um, kind of smaller facilities. But I think Ed's is really the last bastion of seven by seven winemaking. There is Treasure Island wines, so mm. that's still technically San Francisco also. But I think yeah. in the seven by seven of San Francisco, it's Ed's place. Um, and God bless him because it's not easy to make wine in San Francisco. You know, like chucking grapes in, <sighs> receiving them in a warehouse, and um, there is a long history of it. But you know, a lot of for us, it's becoming a lot of people don't want to pay the insurance trucking companies or they're charging us extra to come in. And it's like we're literally right off the freeway. Like, <laughs> get off the freeway, drop off the grapes, get back on the freeway. But um, but I get it. You know, if you if you're paying higher insurance premiums, I mean less. AC of the energy bill, I would assume. I mean, you think your building is probably a little bit cooler We're than... We're actually, like, fairly cool. So the Bayview kind of sits in this yeah. interesting area where it's, like, it's foggy frequently, and then it'll peel yeah. back, so we get sun midday. But it stays pretty windy, and we, yeah. we actually can see, because we can see Bernal Heights, so we can just, we can see Carl, like, rolling in at any given time. Right. I mean, you can always feel That's it, too. That's Carl the Fog. Carl the Fog, yeah, with a K. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's an interesting area. It is a, it's a... It's a sunny area because it's the eastern side of the city, but it is fairly cool, and it is, the, the fog does roll back in pretty thick most days. Like this morning, I came in here just now wearing a sweatshirt because I stopped by the winery real quick. Right. And it was sunny at my house 10 miles south, and it was foggy and windy at the winery. So that's – and then – so, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing that uh, in terms of where I'm making my wine, where I would make Waits Mast, um, where I make another gentleman's wine, um, Xander Soren Wines. Um, and then I do a little bit of, um, I make wine for the Neely family in the Santa Cruz mountains. Right. They're a state vineyard, but we actually have new plantings that we can't make the wine. We don't have enough space in the winery. So we do a little bit of that, our like rosé and our stainless steel Chardonnay in San Francisco. Right. Its place. Yeah. And so how did you get hooked up with these other people that you're making wine for? Yeah. Um, kind of fallen into it. Um, I worked, you know, kind of Pinot onwards. I worked at William Sellium. I ended up managing what's and now what, a small place you might have heard. Yeah, small place what, you might have heard. What year? Twenty ten. Not not a terrible year. <laughs> okay, so you were working with Bob Cabral. Bob Cabral's last okay. year, and um, I was going to stay on actually into twenty eleven. Happy birthday, Bob Cabral! By the way, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we were talking Happy about birthday, that this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I was planning to stay on for twenty eleven, and uh, that was right yeah. when uh, Bob was leaving and yeah. Jeff was coming on. Right. I was on my. I was commuting from San Francisco to, to West Side Road, which is about two hours each way. I know that's miles. a crazy commute. I know you want to live in the city so you can go out clubbing at night, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you remember clubbing she's a bulldog? <laughs> we talked about this. What's that? Do you remember that she's a bulldog? We talked about it. Yeah. She'll do anything for the pursuit of what she wants to do. I mean, I will. Do and then it's not just, it's right. not just, because you're kind of doing reverse commute and people that don't live here, if you don't know what that means, most people are going into the city in the morning and then out of the city. Yeah, but you have um, Santa Rosa in the night, morning, but, which was like the kind oh, of, that was fuck the, me, yeah, JC, you just, you just, you just sit there, you sit there. But, yeah. but you know, like on the flip side is managing a crew at 7 a.m. means you're like on the road really, really early. And that was, right. this is pre-children. And I really thought it was sensible. I was pregnant actually the year that I was managing um, Punchdown, which was Copain Custom Crush when I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is how I kind of started working with all these clients. I got basically into a custom crush job managing a facility with multiple wineries. Does it yeah. sound familiar to what I just <laughs> described? Um, and it's, I think people don't realize how common it is to share a space. Right. You know, or to, or even if you're in like a quote, a state winery to not have every single grape necessarily be grown on your estate. You might grow like most of your grapes, but you might also buy grapes from, and when I say buy, I don't mean 
sounds unromantic, and I hate when people say that. You may have a block. Source. You, may you may source and have a block or rose in somebody else's vineyard because yeah. you're interested in a particular variety, right? So all of that is like fairly common. I think people don't realize, especially on our scale, we're talking about these like small micro wineries, boutique wineries. We can't spend the money on the equipment. I can't afford a sorting table. Yeah. Or if I did, I mean, I don't know. Like I'll be dead by the time I ever pay it back, right? So <laughs> yeah. I guess good luck to my children paying off that loan. So the idea of pooling resources into a shared facility is an amazing thing for this. If people are really into the kind of wines that we are sipping on right now, I'm really into these wines. I mean, the only way that this gets done is by, by sharing resources that way. Um, and so, yeah, that was my, my foray into, into that first venture of managing a facility with 40. But there's years. a lot of that going on. That's what I'm saying. Tremendous amount. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And even like yeah. larger wineries might host, as you guys were saying, sort of being incubators for like, hey, like four other cool little brands and you maybe work for us or maybe you don't. But like we'll, we'll let you kind of start out here and and grow and then maybe you'll move somewhere else as, as you're as you outgrow our space. So I think that's really common. But I'm wondering if that's unique to both of these valleys here, you know, like Alexander and Napa and Sonoma. I think uh, well, land. I mean, it's land prices. There's very few people that actually have the big castle and the long driveway and the crush pad facility like on property, like Benziger or I don't know Chateau Saint Jean or Kundi or something like that. It's a lot. I think people it's more fragmented, are, um, and I do think people forget. Like, I think partially because the story is so strong between Napa and Bordeaux that it's a it's a chateau, it's an estate, and it's all estate fruit, and it's all produced right here. That actually like. We're probably more similar to Burgundy. It's very fraction, <laughs> like, yeah. like right. It's totally the, like you're. You guys are an expert at growing grapes. Yeah, I went to school for viticulture. Do, do you think I am the viticulture consultant for any of my clients? A hundred percent not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because my 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 day is making wine. Yeah. I'm informed. I can have a conversation with my grower. I can be involved with my estate client and our vineyard team. But I'm not directing traffic. I shouldn't be. Yeah. And and I think that's very common. And I think people don't realize that. Like people are experts in grape growing. People are experts in making wine. People are experts at selling wine. Like it's a very like that sort of vertical integration. You cannot be small and have that. It's it's yeah. really more common to be piece by piece and working with each other, which is why relationships are important. Like having a grower you trust to do their thing in the vineyard, to not tell them how to do it, but to ask questions and be like, hey, like, what about this? And I saw this in the winery last year. And so I'm seeing this. And what does that mean to you? And how do you want to change things yeah. in the vineyard? Or how, how can we approach that? Or, you know, how do we meet each other's needs? Yeah. We're each experts in what we do. That's the, that to me, that's the key is always having that good relationship. Because when you don't have the relationship, it's not going to work. Yeah. So how do you decide what wines to make? Uh, for Odovino, it's been a strange, uh, strange journey. I said I love white wines, high acid white wines. Yeah. Um, I knew here, I, here. Re I really wanted it. <laughs> I wanted to have like Gruner. I love Gruner. Yeah. Um, I have very close Austrian friends who actually like literally just had dinner with them last night. They're here. Um, and uh, I have loved Gruner. I've drank a ridiculous amount of Comtel, Vacau, Comstall Gruners. And it, there's not much in San Francisco or in California. And so I no. I wanted to source from somewhere. I happened to, the year I lost my mind and decided to start a label, ping Richard Alfaro, who had a fairly established planting for California. And somebody had just uh, decided to stop working with it. And I he goes, know. well, yeah, sure, I can get it to you. I was like, yes. Yeah. So that was a win. And then uh, I thought, well, if I'm in the Gruner land, 
And uh, Hebby was like, you should do some kind of red, I think. I think that'll be, some people are just not interested in white. You and I are passionate about white, but I think some people are not. Uh, I was like, okay, it'd be cool to find Blau Frankish, but the only Blau Frankish is actually out in the foothills. I make cool climate wines for everybody I work with. Because? It's my passion. Yeah. You know, to me that my, you know, and this is not to, to judge anybody else's wines. My personal passions, my palate lay in high acid wines from cool climates, longer, longer growing time. Obviously it depends on the season and climate change is messing with us everywhere. But that sort of complexity, um, lower alcohol, you know, I don't want high alcohol wine. I do want, I love acid in a wine. Yeah. Red too. So that has been my, my, uh, comfort sensory comfort zone of how I want to make wine. And now that I think I'm working with the right people who are in those regions, I don't want to spread into other places that are hotter. Like for instance, if anybody's listening, I want Chenin Blanc. I really want Chenin Blanc, but I don't want Chenin Blanc out of a, out of a hot region. And that is historically where it's R- been. Ricci, we're growing that too. Damn it. <laughs> I know. And things get closer. We're just all building the time. up your order today. <laughs> yeah. Odovino's not saying no. We'll talk later. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do you love about Chenin Blanc? Well, you know, here's the thing. I'm, with my brand, why put my money in the pot, right? It's exploring things I don't necessarily know how to make from my career. But does my knowledge of making Chardonnay and Pinot Noir inform how I'm going to make these other varieties? Does the same sentiment work? Do the same decisions happen? Is it, is there a different matrix of how to use those skills? And um, I, do I like drinking it, period, yeah. right? So, like, I love, I have a ridiculous collection of St. Laurent's now. We, 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 <laughs> we are going to talk. I'm going to taste them with you guys um, that my friend brought over. And, um, and me. And, of course, you. Please. <laughs> and you guys. Um, and then Gruner's, obviously, have, like, a very deep cellar in love of Gruner's. I love Shannon. I love Fiano. I mean, I love all these different things. But I think at this point, it's a very teeny, teeny, teeny brand. And I want to add another white to the mix, but I want to do something in oak. You know, because my Gruner is unoaked. So I want to do something neutral oak. Interesting. Because to me, that's the textural relationship. What have I always missed in a blind? A very aromatic Chardonnay. I have missed periodically. I called it Shannon. Right. Totally. I've called it Shannon. And, you know, but I mean, I've also like nailed like a good Shannon in a blind. But you'd be open to other uh, white varieties like that you could put in oak, like Verdello or. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it's... Viognier. I don't think Rhone. I, even though I fell in love with that region, I don't think that's where my personal California passions lie. Mm-hmm. I can get down with, like, more stainless steel, Fiano, Falangina. Right. I don't know. But, um, but I'm, I, I have thought about... If, God, if anybody has any Milan de Borgogna out there, like, please call me. There's, like, I don't know, two vineyards in California. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, like, that kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. you were saying... I'm like, I would eat oysters and I would make this wine and I would see, yeah. like, I yeah. don't stir any of the leaves on my Chardonnay. And I make old line Chardonnay out of the Santa Cruz mountains, like own rooted 40 plus year old vines. Yeah. I don't stir a thing, but I think we get textural richness. You don't need to with that. We yeah. don't need to, but wouldn't it be cool to think about like neutral Oak Malone or like Shinnin and sit there and go, I'm going to stir on these two barrels. I'm going to not stir on these two barrels. Yeah. Let's see what happens because it's everything that I do or don't do with the wines I already make and love. Yeah. But like want to kind of flex. This is like the wine wine making flex of I know what works with Pinot and Chard in my in my sensibilities and with my client sensibilities. But like how do I stretch out of that and like 
learn, because I'm a professional nerd. I'm still doing my WSET diploma. I won't tell you how long it's been. But, um, <laughs> you know, like that kind of desire to be like, I want to experiment in good ways. Like I'm not, everything I'm going to bottle is going to be good, guys. Like I'm not ever going to put something in front of you and be like, it's flawed, but just drink it and like it. No, it's going to be clean and right and good and delicious. Yep. But like if I have room to play in there where I get to experience How did you discover this St. Laurent? <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Sorry. Because <laughs> St. Laurent's going to, I want to know, what do you want to put the Shannon in? You want to put in some used oak? I want to do probably neutral, but I will say this. Okay. I have, I did the, my, my Ricci St. Laurent is in a 600 liter stock and cask, Austrian cask. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. Homage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You had to go, I had to go full Austrian. Like, look guys, I'm like, I'm California making random Austrian wines right now. Totally. So um, <laughs> I, I went deep in, cause again, that was yeah. another place to learn. Like there's all these Napa wineries using Stockinger and you yep. know, it's, it's right. sprinkled here and there. People are kind of, people are starting to use it on um, one of my girlfriends at Anderson Valley uses it on some Chardonnay. Um, so I have a 228 liter uh, Stockinger barrel that I did not end up putting on the St. Laurent this mm-hmm. last year and yeah. it's sitting there. And so maybe maybe there's two, two and a half tons of Shannon that wants to find me from a Okay, no, I'm th- I want to make this happen for you. <laughs> so, th- and I'm wondering about concrete or amphora if you've thought about going down that road. Love those vessels and want to actually do it for my estate client with their um, their new block of Chardonnay, concrete, okay. egg. But I'm unwilling to move it. I've seen friends get wrecked. You have to, it has yeah. to be in your permanent cellar. It can never move. Yeah, you. That's just what. You don't know the history of this show, but um, <laughs> yeah, we Bart, lost sixty Bart, gallons. Bart dropped a uh, well. The uh, the, the power. He's never gonna live this down. This poor guy. I know, poor thing. Oh, okay, it, it wasn't. It was his palate that broke, <laughs> yeah. so he didn't do it. That's why all his wine club members are getting a piece of the M4 probably in their wine club shipment this year. That's kind of awesome. Set it into jewelry. Some some other maker can do make this happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, let's get into Saint Laurent because we haven't even we haven't even scratched the surface the, here. Saint Laurent. The Ottavino Gruner, though, by the way. We oh, we thank you. Yes, it was. It killer. was kick-ass. Yeah, yeah. killer. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I don't think I always say I don't think Comtel, Valcau, Cremstall are the uh, references. I think this is more like Weinviertel or like. Vagram or something like that, like a different. It's a different regional reference. If there is a reference, it doesn't have California, to be a reference. If no. there is, if it's, there is, it's a thing, no. and it's just a totally. fucking delicious white wine that's yeah. dry and totally floral mineral, and green apple. Green floral, and I mean, it's like all the things. Yeah, you're talking to a, a high acid white wine drinker. Yes. Um, there are the addicts. We need a club for the addicts for the high acid white wines. I have a club for that. I was gonna say maybe <laughs> maybe Tarek like just do one just for the high acid freaks. Um, you need a high acid six pack. I, uh, you know, to be frank, I don't think I've sold a wine that's not high acid. Fair. So, yeah. There you have well, it. And you've gotten wines from Santa Cruz and you're high acid, so you haven't played around with pig pool either. No, Ooh. but I will oh. drink a good pig pool and be a real happy girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. But you wouldn't probably oak that. I personally know. <laughs> uh, but I have seen Julie Bonneau actually in pig pool de Panay will put it in used oak barrels put it in a shark tank and then submerge it down 60 feet in an oyster farm. And then it does a little natural botanage for like three months. This whole like Santa Bar- like it sounds very referential to the Santa Barbara. We're going to throw some like sparkling wine in an ocean and get I don't know. in I, big trouble. I remember like <laughs> 10 years ago hearing this story um, when I was the, the wine buyer for the girl in the fig. And 
Where is this? No, this is in France. <laughs> um, Actual people dipping it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so of course, we had to get that wine because um, it's called Libero, if anyone can find it out there, L-I-B-E-R-O. Um, yeah, total geek. We didn't even need to try the wine. We're like, who's the rep? Um, and we how need, was it? We need cases of it. Um, it was amazing. And it had, like, more mouthfeel to it. And then you uh-huh. could... It said that it had this not this sort of salinity because it was underwater in the ocean, and you're and mm. I don't know that that's necessarily true, um, but it was a good story over the fish. Are you kidding? Okay, we talked about selling wine. Selling wine is I mean, table side you could sell that all. Oh my god, are you kidding? We of course they sold it to me with just reading the article on it, and then and then. But this is okay. This is what I always say because like you are clearly you've been on the floor. Like this is what you do, and it's. You know, people who are great at this, God help me, like, you know, I'm good for five minutes and I just don't want to be with people and I want to be alone with barrels, right? <laughs> Everything I do is so not sexy, it's not dogmatic. And I mean that for even my Pinot and Shard that I make for for my clients. Yeah. You know, I've been working with Weights Mass for 10 years now. There's nothing dogmatic about what we do. Do we mostly do native use? We mostly do native use. Yeah. You know, like a 2020 happens, do I need native use? Absolutely not. Yeah. Not in a million years. Yeah. Um, you know, native mouth. Like, you know, there's... All these things about the interventions that are, you know, someone said terroir is, you know, time and place, but some a friend said it's time, place, and people. It's people, yeah. Right. So Absolutely. I think that's right because you put the same grapes in a different person's hand, you're going to a different mm-hmm. wine, For period. Sure. They could be similar maybe if they have similar sentiments, but they will not be the same. Yeah. But that's not sexy. That doesn't make for like, like I put zero, like, sorry, I'm, I'm going to just shit a little bit on. Bring it. Zero, zero. Bring it. <laughs> Bring the shit. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I'm not sorry. It's okay. Because if that's your sentiment and your sensibilities, go do it. Just don't tell me I'm wrong the way I do it. So I'm I'm all for everybody doing their own thing and and having because otherwise if it's one way to do it it's Coca Cola guys we yeah. make yeah. Coca Cola totally which is not what we do so it's all about everybody having a different sensibility about what's right so I just don't like the idea I'm minimal intervention which is the least sexiest thing you could possibly say I know because then the question because is the, well, what the fuck do you do what do I do I believe in you using, buy really good fruit and I then you just really babysit the good grapes fruit. <laughs> I do. I, yeah. And and guess what? And then in a year where you have a hundred and sixteen degree heat wave and a fire and a fire and whatever, I actually have the skills to deal with it. And right. am I gonna like doctor up my wine? Hell no. Right. Would I make a tiny adjustment of I don't know using a a lab culture yeast that I know I like? Hundred yeah. percent, I would. Yeah. hundred percent. And do I think the wine is manipulated because of that? Right. I do not. Yeah. So I that's where I get like a little bit prickly and and I think there's the flip side of things. We couldn't tell. About, you, can, like, you can you can you can <laughs> make that fight on sulfur like there's a, you know there's yeah, a lot of I believe in the sulfur, sulfur guys. The sulfur I fight is a big sulfur. one. Sure. It <clears throat> We like a stable I, product that we can ship to other states. We do, but we have also we enjoyed wines that are zero zero and that don't have sulfur and like maybe they're not all of them, but we I know that we have had people And I've had people's sure. natural wines that are gorgeous that I have enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. And that does happen. Yeah. I think it's to to your point. I think it's more the the dogmaticness. So if you're do, if you have dogma in any direction, correct, that's that. when there's danger zone, and that's true in all parts of life and brain usage and um, philosophy of every anything. Of delicious. Like, I'm not anytime saying you have dogma aren't. about anything, yeah, it's the danger del- zone. There are delicious zero zero ones. There are delicious natural wines. Totally. But also, I'm I'm gonna. I, this is really me going out. Guys, why did you give me so much Riesling? Um, yeah. <laughs> I will say this. I love I, it. Turn her on. Just put it, put me, turn me on. I, I will say this. I think if you are choosing 
to be natural, zero, zero, anything. And, and, and you can choose to be minimal intervention as I am, or you can choose to be maximal intervention, however you choose. The Maxim end, I've never heard that term before. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> maximum um, <laughs> We all know what that means. Yeah. If the wine in the glass is good, and you enjoy it because this is something for humans to enjoy. Then I don't think it matters how you got there, so long as you followed your own sensibilities as a winemaker. Th I have a problem with you give me a glass. If I have Britannomyces in my white wine, guys, I'm not happy. Yeah. I do not want to drink that. I also don't want to drink that. So please, no. please don't tell me that <laughs> like does? that's philosophically better than what I do. That's where yeah. I, that's my life. I'm done. I'm done on myself. You sometimes I do. We <laughs> opened up a carbonic cab franc <laughs> from Loire she said yesterday. White. She said white. strange. Uh, I know, but John, John, I don't mind Brett and some, some wines. Some if I had, a peanut, really if like I had a, a peanut butter sandwich to have with like it, I would have been in heaven. But yeah. I don't want it in my cellar. Right. No. 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 To me, it's got that too much of that funky butt going on. Yeah, in my mind. Baby diaper. Yeah, <laughs> I know that all too well. In the last, I think three maybe weeks. you just over time develop like a kind of, just like you do for older wines, right? I don't think you necessarily start off liking or appreciating thirty or forty year old wines, but then over time you sort of start to appreciate this. I think with with um, wines that have a little bread in them, I think over time you start to kind of, kind of, kind of enjoy it almost. Okay, well, mm. I will give you that, but you know most. See, now I'm going to be a nerdy winemaker. Most strains of Britannomyces will produce eight times as much for EP, horse-like band-aid, right, right. as they were would for EG, the nice, clovey, sort of barnyardy, right. like kind of delicious. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to have a layer, not in my cellar. But and yeah. both of those can present differently, also depending on the strain within that that they are. That's it. Yeah. So I think that the breadth that you're talking about right. is largely different from right. I th my I think that a lot of reason that people can sell wine with bread in it is because it's something that people immediately notice. Like the same reason that you can sell wine that has an obscene amount of oak on it is that it creates a flavor profile that somebody that doesn't know a lot about wine can be like, right. I identify with that. Like I can right. I, I can pick that out. I can smell it. I can taste it. I know how to talk about it. Because that's the most scary part when you're learning about wine is like you don't know the the verbiage that goes along with it. Totally. The, the intimidation factor. But if you have big Brett Bloom, like a, an over oak situation or like any other like overdone situation in in yeah. a wine, it's something that if you have more of a novice palate, it's something you can identify. I, well, so now that we're on the topic, uh, you know, full disclosure, when we started, so Ricci Vineyard has only started doing wines and. 2018 was our first vintage under our own brand. And the three wines that we started off with was a, a rosé, uh, a pinot, and then the St. Laurent. And the St. Laurent, you know, I'm not the winemaker, but the facility where we had the wines being made, there was a bread issue and we caught it and we stopped it. Um, and it was like, it really didn't speak to any of us within the family. We're just like what is this garbage, you know? And my dad was straight up being like, this is fucking ruined, let's dump it. And it's like, we can't, you know, like, I don't want to, you know, get off on the wrong foot and, and sell this wine that we don't 100% stand behind. But at the same yeah. time, like, we're tiny, we're just getting off the ground, like, there will be an audience for this this wine. And, you know, lo and behold, there was. There's people who kind of like that barnyard funkiness about it. You're like, yeah. um you know, for me, I, I kind of grew into it. Like, you know, it does, it's very different and there's a time and place for it, but I, I still like the, 
you know, the bright, fruity St. Laurent that we're doing now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there that, you know, it's not, sometimes bread is, is done and it's not, the wine is not flawed. It's just, it is what it is. So, well, and then you have, you know, when you catch it early and it's yeah. not crazy and, and I will say again, I'll go back to minimal intervention. How many wines have I filtered? Very few in my career. Does that mean I won't? Absolutely not. Huh. And if you have a Brett Bloom and you catch it early and you still taste your wine, it's still delicious and you know, and you see it, right? Filter it. You're, yep. fro- you're frozen in time. Yep. You're frozen in time. And is that a giant intervention? Is that something that suddenly makes the wine like lesser quality? No. No. It, will it age differently than if it was unfiltered? For sure. For sure. But it doesn't change the quality. Qual- I, th- I think these are the things that I get like stuck on with people, people being like, it, you have to do it this way or you should not do that. Or y- There's all these different ways. The point is to have something delicious in your glass. Yep. Totally. Brian, I'll give you a bready Saint Laurent I when we're done here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry, and I should have spoke for myself. I should have said that I can appreciate it, but it's a lot of times it's Bordeaux um, when I'm trying something that has a little Brett, where I'm like, it, it, sure. it totally, it almost like seems to go together. Yeah. Um, and then there's something about Mauvedra. Oh, um, oh well, Mauvedra is a de- totally different. Uh, sweaty little feral beast. Yeah, and it's it's uh, for some reason I actually enjoy that. Yeah, I can um, be fine with a Chateauneuf that's got like a little low level yeah. and it's not band aid y. It's yeah. kind of in that just like cloby earthy situation. Totally. Right? Yeah. But again, I don't want to make that's that. That's where I, I can right. handle like a little VA in those. Also. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get on. I mean, let's we're drinking Saint Laurent. Let's let's get into it. Um, yes. All these well, it's yes. A, and I don't I don't know who to ask this question to. What the hell is Saint Laurent? It's uh, from doing my own research. It's like a, I've heard that it's a cross between Pinot Noir and nobody knows. And then I've heard that it possibly was like its own seed, where they took a seed out of Pinot, maybe planted it like Randall Graham is doing with his whole crazy project mm-hmm. up there, and just like making these, you know, his own varietals. Um, so I mean, you're the I one growing it, so I. You know, I, I just kind of stick with the the unknown, like, you know, I say Pinot and unknown because I think, like, I've heard all these crazy theories, and we, at this point, I don't know if we know if any of them are right or or what, so, you know, I just say, you know, one parent is a Pinot and the other one is an extinct grape of, you know, some sorts, and... um You know... Uh, it also could have been a seed for the for sure. Or, or a seed, yeah. Um But, you know... I don't know, Brian. You had more questions about like what it is or where does it come from or where the where do we want to go? I think with there's the like ampli- yeah. That's like ampelography. Thank. Well, I know, but I was going to say logical, like almost like phenomenological. I was trying to go there, but I, it was too many <laughs> syllables for this this far into the conversation. But I thought we were going to um, get a Far Side song mixed in there. So it was <laughs> it was real close. Wait, have you been on my Instagram lately? A What's little happening? bit. What's happening? Um, no, I was going to say I think there's uh, the there is some correlation between Pinot Noir. So whether or Clearly. not it was a seed at yeah. some point, there's some genetic uh, similarity to Pinot Noir. Yeah. So that whether or not that's it was a cross or it was a seed at some point, there's something in that. I will say this. I always tell people it's like if Syrah and Pinot had a baby. Yeah. I say I make the Syrah comparison a lot. You know, I got like these sultry like underpinnings of the Syrah and it's like this bright fruit lift of like pinot and it's like 
Yeah, it's something in between. It's like a, a, a Pinot from like the wrong side of the tracks. I say it's uh, it's if Pinot Noir went backpacking. <laughs> <laughs> With no no deodorant, just, yeah. You know. Sweaty like pits. A six-week tour in Europe in hostels. Yeah. I know, and I get kind of a GSP thing, so I could even see like a little bit of Grenache. And sure, talking about like Randall Graham, it's yeah. almost like that language of yes wines that uh -huh. he's making, where he's taking the he's picking the grapes and then letting them dry a little bit yeah. um, before a thing pressing. Thing that he did also at Bonnie Dune, but yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, so yeah. for me, it's like uh, the like they, well, everybody says Morello cherry, and like what the hell is Morello cherry? Morello right. cherry is like what you make. This is what you make maraschino brandy cherries, not those like gross things in the Shirley Temples that my kids drink, but like <laughs> the ones that go in my Manhattan. In right? the Manhattan, right. thank yeah, you. That, good ones. Okay, that's what they are. They cost and, so much. But it's it's that it's that cherry skin. It's that brandy mm -hmm. cherry yeah. skin. Mm -hmm. That to me is like the totally. the top note of of Saint Laurent. Totally. Mm -hmm. And so what is and so why is it you're making this wine? Yeah, I mean, I I had I had my my crazy um, Grunewaldiner thing, and then I wanted to do a, an Austrian red because that felt like something interesting. And the more I was reading, yeah. this like possible connection to Pinot Noir, which yeah. you know has been my bread and butter my entire career. Like that felt like something significant and cool. And um, and there's only six acres of it in the entire country, totally, essentially, yeah. Yeah. which and is amazing. I mean, the fact that like that Dale even decided that this is was something that he was going to put his time and money and which energy into, because he had a buddy, right? That like brought that like he tasted it, and then his friend yeah. brought it. Yeah, where did he get it from? How many cuttings um, did he bring? Like sixty cuttings or something? What is that? We, I think we started with eighty vines. Um, so. 80 cuttings grafted it over but and our, he brought them from austria where there's no more of this or it was is that uh, how the he, story goes? so our friend who works in the industry he is a uh, works for a nursery so he's a nursery rep and makes his own wine on the side um he's from germany he you know they were doing my my dad and, and this guy were doing a bunch of research like okay cool climate carneros like what plays well in this region uh, and so they kind of settled on St. Laurent because, you know, it seemed like it would, you know, take to, you know, the area and then nobody else was doing it. So that was like the cool factor. So the German friend flew to Germany, found a vineyard in Germany, actually, where the grower was ripping it out and replanting with something else. He said, hey, can I take some cuttings back to California because we want to introduce it there? It's like, yeah, go ahead. So that classic... You know, smuggle it in the suitcase story yeah. is what we did. Brian, who and I think there's statute of limitations. I don't think we can get in trouble no. for that now. So who was telling us that they smuggled cuttings in their sleeves? Oh as yeah, I don't remember who that was, but it was, was, it, uh, was it John Caldwell? Because that's couple dozen in each arm. He had them taped I, to his leg. I, I think it was, um, we had um, Patrick Capiel on the show, and he was talking oh, about some Lodi, um, some some things that they had planted over in Lodi. I don't think he was talking about himself. It was about someone that he yeah. knew. Um, or or that you could Very tie it together as like a Christmas decoration, tie a bunch of twigs together, and then put a little like red balls on it like it was, and That's then you your could Christmas send reef. it. And, Right, almost as though like, like you passed like the ag inspection coming in. I I don't know. You put enough bows on it, maybe. <laughs> you put it up your sleeves. They don't know. Tie it to your leg. I yeah. pat it down all the time. I don't know. Wear that long um, sleeve shirt, right. man. But I will say this. I, so this to me was like cool. It's here in California. This one yeah. vineyard. I'm gonna bug the hell out of this guy. But also, I had been tasting. Um, we were actually just talking about this with our friends who are here visiting. Um, I had loved Austrian wines before, but they got married almost 10 years ago, and we went for the wedding. 
which was um, Karen's hometown, is um, closer to the Munich side um, border of Austria, but they lived in Vienna. And so it was only close friends and family and the U.S. friends that flew and went to the wedding. And then we literally rented like a white van and drove across Austria and stopped in Comtel and Fachau and tasted with them. And, you know, I mean, talk about amazing stuff. You can like run through a vineyard and just like open random bottles of wine and they're super fine with that apparently. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but then got to Vienna and it was supposed to be their, their wedding reception at, um, in the town that they've just moved to um, outside where there's lots of vineyards in the Weinviertel. And I said, everybody wanted to go to the Noshmark one day. I was like, I've been to the Noshmark and I would love to go to the Noshmark again, but I actually really want to go to Brokenland, guys. And they're like, okay, we'll take it to Bergenland. So here's my newly married couple friend and me third wheeling it, like the old, ma- <laughs> oh, the old married woman third wheeling it. And we like went to Bergenland to like Umatum and tasted like a bunch of their wines. And I bought like the Vomstein and uh, brought some wines home. We've, of course, have run through that, but Christian just resupplied me. So um, that was kind of like the. So I what do you, what do have you had this variety, but what the hell? What do you, do you notice is the difference right. between the. Um, the California versions and, yeah. and the European versions that you've asked that. I feel like, so right. I asked him to amass like a bunch. So he came like two months ago for the first time in a long time, brought me a handful of wines in a suitcase. And this time he brought me a full case, mostly, mostly Gruner's, but like brought me about four St. Laurent's. There's a very different quality level depending on where it's grown and alcohol too, which is a sort of interesting thing. Cause I, of course this, my, mine is 12.6 and my 2022, which just got bottled is 11.1% alcohol. Cause wow. we picked before the heat wave. So, so Dale, European Dale way it. higher, right? Can be in okay. some places it's lower. So it depends on exactly where it is, which is really interesting to me. And now, now that I have this, um, Two vintages deep, so I know I know so much about Saint Laurent right now. You know, <laughs> two vintages deep of making it, but now that I've seen like twelve point six, so I know it kind of it at least in California it wants to ripen on the earlier side. And I got to tell you, the eleven point one at first I kind of was like, oh my god, it's like he picked so early. But also, <laughs> like we had a giant heat wave coming in, it was a hundred percent the right decision, and it does make me mm. want to say to Dale that. I think this is kind of what to do, and can we kind of lean there? And I, because I really like where the 2022 is. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting place. But now I have these wines that my friend has brought me, and I was not joking when I said let's taste them together because I think it'd be really fun. That would be fun. Um, but there's different alcohol levels there, and I think like then it'll be interesting to contextualize alcohol level against flavor profile against where it was grown in Austria and what does that compare to for Carneros. Yeah. Oh, I'm that. loving this. This is beautiful stuff. Beautiful. And that's first, hers. And then Sean, we're we're opening up another bottle of Saint Laurent. Um, the Ricci Vineyard. This which is, is the Ricci, Ricci Vineyard. Yeah, so thank you. Which John. now you guys yeah. tell me, would you? So this to me is, and and I know this is, I'm doing this a lot more with um, some red wines, is serving them with a little bit of chill on them, mm-hmm. which I would, yeah. I like, I would recommend. I yeah. like for that wine cellar temp, or even yeah. just a couple degrees below. And what do you consider cellar temp for? people out there 56 uh, 50, 58 somewhere between, somewhere between like 58 and 60 okay yeah. so like if i if i really want like california winter i want to bring saint laurent to the table at yeah. like 54 degrees and let it come up who's on the label oh uh so the the label of our the ricci saint laurent that's my dog zoe and what kind of dog is this she's a mutt she's like a lab border collie mix so okay yeah i, was gonna, just, I, I thought corgi it's a little bit bigger, but yeah, she's this uh, picture of her just running amok in the vineyard I on the love label. It. It's yeah. perfect, absolutely perfect. Thank you. Great shot. Yeah, thank you. 
Your dad taught you well. Oh, yeah, you, you know. He did. Crit- critique me enough, so, you know, something <laughs> stuck. Okay, so who's making the wine? Um, so right now, we have everything custom crushed over at uh, Tin Barn Vineyards, yep. uh, 8th Street here in Sonoma. Uh, Mike Lancaster has his, his brand, is Tin Barn, uh, for people that don't know. Really good dude, makes really solid wines. Um, and a whole gamut of, you know, his Merlot, in my opinion, is one of the best that I've had. Um, you know, it's my own palate, but I really dig his Merlot. He does really great Pinot. Um, and we've had a working relationship with him probably like going back 20 years where my dad and, and Michael were just, you know, he was buying fruit from us. He was making Pinot for Tin Barn. And so when we decided to kind of go on this venture of like, okay, you know, since I'm not the winemaker, who do we trust to kind of like, you know, hand this baby off to? And it was like, Mike was willing to do it. I think he has fun doing it because we do things that he's not doing for his own brand. So he gets him, he's allowed to kind of like, you know, play and experiment with different techniques and different styles and different grapes. And like, we're going to do a carbonic St. Laurent this year, which I think he's really looking forward to. So that picked Brian up, didn't it? Right there. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, I mean, it's already got that really incredible fruit and then yeah. the new carbonic on it is just going to be like, and these are two different wines. I know that. So, uh, Tara is, is pointing out, uh, Philomena, uh, another St. Laurent and Luke, the winemaker there, he does a lot of carbonic on a lot of his wines. Not, not 100%. About 25% yeah. Carbonic. Just a touch of it. So it lends itself well. Sure. Yeah, they're very different wines, though. Yeah, the two they, yeah. So far, these two are very different. Absolutely. So I did all. I definitely have approached it the way I make Pinot Noir, which is very rarely using whole cluster. Um, so that's what I was wanting. Yeah, okay, no. Yeah. So, but I do whole berry, zero crushing. Yeah. So whole berry. So you like for me for Pinot that always gives you that pop of fruit, right? And there's always like you get to press time, you drain off your free run, and there's always a few berries that have not been broken down. And if yeah. you pop one in your mouth, it's the fun. It's the candy of one. Yeah. It's the candy of harvest. You know, you got a little like carbonic well, fizz in the berry. The, fr- the fruit from this valley um, is incredible. Last mm-hmm. night we had some organic strawberries from the farmers market, and just you pop one in. It doesn't have to be super sweet. It's just beautiful. Yeah. You know, the rush of flavors and the burst of, of moisture, and it's just. A beautiful situation, really. Yeah, my, my personal goal, like, making reds, I mean, honestly, making anything, I always want <laughs> freshness of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. when I, like, we were just, t- I was saying about alcohol levels and stuff, right? For me, it's okay if it varies from vintage to vintage. That's the beauty of being a boutique producer is, like, it can be different. If the weather is different, it can be different. But I would never pick, you know, because I've had growers, you know, get in a relationship for clients and they'll say what's your target breakfast and i go what does your vineyard do can i taste the wine and yeah. can we like talk about when did you pick what was done in the winery etc for me i would never be like i'm picking at 22 bricks all the time because i never want to go over like 13 percent alcohol because some vineyards will give you zero zero flavor yeah there'll yeah. be nothing there or in some places that would be super developed fruit by that point so you have to like understand a site and then and, and then obviously adapt to a vintage and i think the thing i was just talking about was totally vintage adaption so uh, yeah i think uh trying to for me trying to pick on freshness so that you ha- always have that purity of fruit yeah like i jolly rancher it's all about the fruit man jolly rancher may be a thing that's often used to describe <laughs> wines i've made 
<laughs> I'm not. What I'm not about, mad at it. For, what about for this one? Do you know the winemaking for this one? Um, so I, I think that was all distemmed. We didn't do anything like whole cluster. Um, the, so this is 2019 vintage. We didn't do a 2020. Um, we actually did pick a little St. Laurent in 2020 in hopes of salvaging it. Um, you know, just with a, a thicker skin, it was less prone to the, the smoke taint damage. So we even actually, down there, you got it. What's that? Even down there, you got smoke taint. Oh yeah. Big time. Okay. Uh, we, you know, our... 90 acres of Pinot was just decimated. Oh. Like, we just left it hanging because, yeah. yeah, it was ruined. But, um, you know, that being said, we did pick a little bit of our Pomard Pinot, um, hopes, hoping that it would turn out okay, and then blended it in with some St. Laurent in 2020 and made a cuvee out of it. I was kind of curious about that, about blending Pinot and the St. Laurent together. Yeah, it's it's killer. It, like, we've, we've now done it... Um, so 2020 was the first attempt at this cuvee, and we threw uh, 25% new Hungarian oak on it. Hmm. So, ah, there you go. Yeah, so neutral French oak and then 25% new Hungarian. And um, As a co-ferment or separate? Uh, separate. Yeah. And then so 2021 we did – so it was like 50-50 blend of the St. Laurent and Pinot, and then in 2021 we decided to do the cuvee again, and we yeah. flipped the script, and we did – 67% St. Laurent, 33% Pinot. And, and we haven't released that wine yet, but so far it's like, for my money, that's like the best wine we've, that's we awesome. have. That's really cool. And yeah. when is the release on that? Um, We're at the tail end of the 20 vintage. So I would say maybe end of this year. And <laughs> when they sell out of the last one, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, more or less, want, but you, yeah. You don't want library. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not intentionally trying to do a library. Like, if there's a handful of cases left over from a vintage, we're like, oh, it might be kind of cool to hold on to these for a little bit and, yeah. like, yeah. you know, bust them out if somebody's interested in trying some, you know, older wine. I mean, none of our wines are, like, super old. But, um, yeah, so, you know, doing the blend, the cuvee has been really fun, too. But Did anybody do a 21? 2020? I made plenty of wines in did 2020. Some, a lot yeah, of people, I mean, people did. Yeah. I made... Um, a lot of people didn't. But I mean, I make a lot of Santa Rita Hills wine for somebody, and so that uh, had zero... There was nothing down there. Yeah. At no. all. Um, and uh, Lucky. My, my estate clients in the Santa Cruz Mountains, we, we made 2020 Pinot, and we said we were just going to wait and evaluate and see where we're at. Um, some of it was sound. How's it tasting? Uh, some of it was sound, but... Um, didn't have the character of the blocks because of the way we picked it, and so I bulked it out. Yeah. Um, we have one wine that we did bottle that we intend to sell, but it is going to be, we're going to have a tasting in a couple more weeks, and um, it would be a fall release anyway, so we'll see whether or not that gets out there. Our 20 Chardonnays um, sat in the same same environment. There, You cannot tell me that there is anything that is out of character of the vintage on those Chardonnays. Not, not a single thing. They are, they're perfectly expressive i think of what was and what is and so that they're on the market and happy with that i made 2020 pinot at anderson valley um just north of all the fires yeah right yeah they got late 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 smoke from willets for like a day or two um but it didn't even pervade the whole valley so it it was pretty far away i remember photographing the sky and it was a 
a, yeah, the apocalypse. Dark, a gray the sky with yeah, the apocalypse dark day. The apocalypse everybody, day. you so say weird. that yeah. apocalypse everybody day, and everybody knows yeah. what we're talking about. We sat outside at noon, and in San Francisco, I remember because I can't. I left ne- my I left my Santa Cruz Mountains client Neely. I came to San Francisco, and it was lunchtime, and there was no sun to be had. It was that weird, weird apocalyptic orange sky, yep. and yep. we were like, you know what, guys, this is the day everybody drinks whiskey. Because yeah. tomorrow may not exist. That's well, right. and it was supposed to be like 90. <laughs> that day of harvest. It was supposed to be like 92 that day in Napa. And I remember it maybe broke 60 because there was such a thick there layer of smoke. There was no, s- no UV the, coming. Yeah, there was this, the sun couldn't break through the smoke. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like super cold. But yeah, going over to Napa was an amazing drive right about then. I mean, because I yeah. did it a lot. And, you know, somebody was standing, found one of those signs uh, welcome to Napa Valley. I think it was up north, and there, you know, smoke and flames behind them, and it's <laughs> amazing photo. Um, Fantastic. I, I just want to quick like point out. So since we're talking about 2020 and the vintage and the smoke that issues that we had, um, you know, present a lot of challenges for a lot of people. But you know, when I was working in my other job in Napa, I had a lot of customers that would call and email and say, you know. I don't want any 2020. Yeah. I'm not even going to try it or approach it. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it was so frustrating because a lot of people who elected to make a 2020 vintage did so confidently and, and said like, this mm-hmm. wine is great. And Gosh, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of winemakers are not going to like stand behind a product and say, Oh, this is shit, but right. we're going to throw it out there anyway. They're like, no, this is great wine. And sometimes they were saying like, well, you know, the 2020 vintage was actually pretty decent. The 2020 vintage would have been amazing. It was yeah. going to be awesome. It was going to be, yeah. right. be amazing. Yeah. Well, like all things considered, smoke yeah. included, it was like it turned out okay. And like, you know, so. Uh, yeah. Well, to that point, exactly. Like many of us started testing really early. Yeah. And when the lab here was bombarded, I pooled resources with a bunch of my colleagues. We sent stuff to Australia. Yeah. yeah. Lot, yeah so we had, we had early numbers. We had yeah. sensory evaluation. I sat with six colleagues and we double blinded all the wines that we all had like the, not the ones that we were like, okay, this is not going to happen, but the ones that we were like, I think this is okay. But before I like trust my own palate, cause I've been living with it. Let me double blind this and put it in front of like five other winemakers. Yeah. And we did that with each other. Yeah. And that's where it was like, I picked, I actually picked a couple wines I made. I knew they were mine in the mix. And so that, that to me was the moment to bulk it out because everybody else was like, these are some of the best wines I tasted this vintage. And I was like, yeah. great, you want to buy them? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it was like, uh. it's one thing to make a sound wine and it's another thing to go, oh, does it represent a, a, a place? Because we're really talking about like terroir-driven wines. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much good wine from 2020. Yeah, don't shy away from don't it. Don't shy away from it. And That's don't, the thing is tr- d- d- people are not going to wreck the reputation of Tower's well, Point. Well, um, <laughs> Small wineries are not going to wreck their reputations on it. Mm, no, oh, large. Gosh, right, okay. I mean, there's a lot of 20, 2020 stuff out there that is, I think, because when you have everything is allocated and you're to skip a year when there's so much money behind it, and and honestly, I think ninety percent of the people that try the wines aren't going to taste anything flawed about the wines. We tried to do one wine and one red in 2020 actually bottled it, didn't label it, but then we all sat around and tried it. And I don't think, I don't think the typical consumer would have said there's something wrong with that wine, but, and it wasn't even that it tastes smelled or tasted 
of smoke taint, but that the flavors were so muted. So it was, hey, that doesn't taste like one of our wines. It doesn't taste like the that, site. And so yeah, then, then it was like, so I don't think a lot of, but I don't think some people made that same decision. They're like, oh, it's totally drinkable. And we know that people want the 2020 Screaming Eagle. Did I just say that? Um, but... <laughs> um, or Kenzo. I mean, there's there's things that happen out there that. Well, there's um, interesting research about this all now, right? Like, I need an Oberholster yeah. at um, Davis has done so much stuff out, mm-hmm. and, and they've been on the road. Like Davis has been on. You know, even though I'm a bulldog, I'm gonna say pro Davis. Like, thank you very much for the research you put out there and what you shared with the commu- winemaking community because there is probably something to be said about some of us have a protein on our palate that's like picking up more of it than other people are. Yes, yeah. And so you don't, you don't want the, the really sensitive people on your panel and you don't want the absolutely right. not sensitive at all people on the panel. You want the people in the middle of the road to your right. point who are going to like say, this wine's fine. It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Just drink it. Yeah. Tastes great. Cause you don't want the, like the meat. Cause I, I think I'm one of those people who is like, I taste smoke here. I taste smoke here. I taste smoke here. That's why I feel like whatever I put into the universe in 2020, like rest assured, I've already lost all the sleep over it. Like whatever I put out in the universe, I really yeah. don't think anybody on the I face of the earth is gonna right. Yeah. Actually, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I think that's a common sentiment. But to your point, Tyler, I remember going through that in in like ten or eleven 10, with with eight right? oh eight yeah. Anderson oh, Valley eight, Pinots yeah. where yeah. where I remember trying to sell them and and just the fact that they were on the list, people were like, oh fuck that, that's a smoked taint wine. And I'm sure that same thing is probably gonna happen. I I've had talked to people that have been in the taste room that have said, oh, yeah, we called such and such winery where we're wine club members, and they're not even offering us a discount on their 2020 wines. Um, Monsters. So, <laughs> I know. How so that, that sort of attitude is out there amongst out consumers. There. Um, but that's why I was going to say, just trust the people that you buy wine from. And totally. I, I mean, you're talking to people around the table right now that are like people that make um, good decisions based on wanting to provide good wine to um the people that want their wines and so i mean it's just another reason to um know your winemaker know your winemaker not not only that know your grower Mm -hmm. i mean we're in the fortunate situation here where we i mean you can come in on some days and meet both of those people (laughs) um so but at this table you know i mean you got someone who's actually out there at the vineyard and someone who's actually making the wine Mm -hmm. and if you trust those people to make those decisions And if they put out a 2020 wine, you'd be like, okay. oh, okay, yeah. cool. It's um, good. Everything's right. fine. And if they don't go, oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. That's right. right. Um, that's right. Yeah. Because it's not like it didn't hurt everybody's business in a really, really impactful way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When you're this small and you choose to say, like, I'm not making X, Y, or Z, yeah. that's a big deal. Well, yeah. I think I'd... Miomi might have scored <laughs> in this whole version. Oh, shit. Version. <laughs> oh. It, you're... you're... I mean, You're that opening me up a, a, oh, a can of worms. If yeah. Dale, again, if he were here, <laughs> yeah, ooh, he has some some harsh feelings about Miomi. God, I, I think that's what endeared me to him is that yeah. I had like a TED talk about my hatred of Miomi, and I think he then was like, "Okay, I can talk to you." Oh yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> he wants to burn um, those fuckers down. But do you guys want to get to this last wine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. So this Let's is before this pod's like six hours long. Totally. Is what you're saying? You know, it's funny. We have such a high affinity. You know, I've been in radio a long, long time. You you got a beautiful radio voice. (laughs) Thank you. But it's funny because, you know, if you hold a listener in radio for 10 or 15 minutes, I mean, you're golden. Win. Oh, yeah. And but people listen to this podcast for an hour hour and an hour. And, you know, our average shows at least an hour and 45 minutes. We're two hours and five minutes. Unless Jeff Cohn is on. 
And then how long is it? Three hours. The last one I was on was three hours, too. I'm surprised Jeff wasn't on that one. <laughs> but it's fun. I mean, why stop? We're having a great conversation. If, yeah, if right. everybody's got the time, it's, it's a stunningly beautiful mm. day. It's Look gorgeous. at the sky. Yeah. It's gorgeous. The temper's perfect. Well, yeah. we're getting this nice little breeze. At, as I say it, it comes up, which is great, because um, the last, the last couple of weeks has been a little bit rough it. to sit out here, to have people sit out here. But, yeah, it's beautiful. All right, so what are so we drinking now? So this is from, um, from Luke Neo and his wife, Kat, Luke's the winemaker. And um, he started at Bedrock, which is, like we said, a great incubator and place. Badge and then there. he was the assistant at Green and Red. And most recently, he became the winemaker at um, Kivelstadt. Oh, oh, how's Jordan doing? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> He's got his restaurant going down the there. The restaurant in looks amazing. Yeah. I hear so Sam Kaplan, who was the winemaker there for a long time, he took a job at Ashes and Diamonds in Napa. Ah. And uh, Luke is now moved over to Kivelstadt. So, uh, anyway, he's awesome. How do you like pronounce Tyler. the name of this one? <laughs> oh. What's that? How do you Philomena. Yeah. It's Philomena is the name of his grandmother, and she's on the label, and that's her. That's dirt. an actual photo. Yes, yeah. that Luke found in his like attic. Yeah. That's they're like, and it's yeah, Sonoma wine. County, like on yeah, the side of the road, pounding Sonoma wine. Side of the yeah. road, and that's that picture is from during Prohibition, and they're drinking on the side of the road. I was gonna say his grandmother. I mean, it's great car epic. too. So yeah. epic. So uh, Luke is uh, somebody who I think uh, is a better winemaker than he even knows. Uh, he's, I think he's an excellent winemaker. And um, his wines are great. And you should totally have him on the pod, really. Um, and anyway, this is his 2019 St. Laurent. And I thought I should bring it on because we were talking about St. Laurent. And I've worked with you guys. Oh, yeah. And add another St. Laurent to the mix because... I want to do more Saint Laurent like tastings and like out there in the world so that people understand what it is because the only way you understand is not by tasting one is by tasting many, and yeah. Own Root Collective we have featured five Saint Laurents <laughs> in Seriously? our three years. I love you. And it, so our the people who have been like members of Own Root Collective from the beginning shout out. Um, have tasted five St. Laurent's, which is probably more than, they just most, think people that, than <laughs> most people in the world. They're like another goddamn St. Laurent. If you're not Austrian, you're awesome. wine, yeah. so They probably just think that St. Laurent is widely planted. They They're like, oh, it must be like a thousand-acre vineyard them, over there but, in Carneros. Um, and these like, grapes uh, were a, foot A lesser stomped. qualified member might think that. I don't know. said so. Okay. Yeah, stomped my foot. Okay, yeah, he got the winemaking on the This is partial foot stomped also. Picture the second I like, week I like of September. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I only like hearing that from certain people. There are certain people that tell me they foot stomped, and I look at them, and I'm like, mm, I don't really want you. Time. Okay, <laughs> thank you. All Same. times pedicure. Thank you. I okay. have, I'm aging prematurely because I ozone my legs. <laughs> get in. I'm serious. Cleanliness, but also tradition. Ozone? Yes, ozonated water. Sterilant. So, I, like, you know, hi, like, hyper-radical, you know, all the, like, random stuff they sell women on about, like, skincare products, all the free radicals, I'm purposely throwing them on my legs so I can foot stomp wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dedication I'm talking about. Yeah, I will sacrifice all of my right. being for my wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys, let's talk about how to get a hold of some of these wines. So, Tara, well, I mean... This last one's beautiful, too. Yeah, wow. Tell people how they can get connected with you and become get a member of own root collective and what does that mean free emails so uh you can do a free membership where you get emails and you can totally buy the wine you just don't get the discounts on the shipping okay. or invites to the things that we do 
Um, or you can do a paid membership, which is eight ninety five a month mm-hmm. or eighty nine ninety five a year, and that guarantees super cheap shipping all over the whole country um, and invites to tastings that we do virtual and in person, um, you know, events, lunches at our house, whatever. Also, um, when people come to town, we hook them up with all of these small winemakers to taste with. And so that's super fun. And yeah, it's, it becomes, the goal is to be creating a community. So totally. Yeah. You can uh, sign up for owner. That's that's a, I'm great, gonna, a great thing I'm to gonna do. I'm going to tack on <laughs> to the plug here because you and I corresponded somewhat recently, right? Because I got an order out of nowhere, and I was like, I don't know this person. I mean, they were from Jersey. And I was like, cool. I pinged my brother-in-law. I was like, is this one of your friends? Because it was sort of in the area where he lives. He's like, no, I don't know who that is. I Googled him. I was like, oh, okay. I really don't know how he got this. And then he ended up sending you a note. Yeah. Right, saying that's right. He he found me through Unroot. Yeah, and he bought a case from you. He bought a case from. He'll me. buy more. He, yeah. he like sent this whole email about how he's like in love with her wines in general, and uh, it was so. And it was such a sweet it's exactly email. Exactly what it keeps keeps me going. Those well, emails. like you know, to be honest <laughs> with you, I mean, I make wine for myself and for other people I, during harvest. I have zero days off. I'm self-employed, so you know, like 50, 60, 70 days, whatever it is, in a row that I work. My family doesn't see me. And I, I do love what I do, but also, like, you know, I'm not, like, everybody's favorite person during harvest. <laughs> and when you see someone write a note like that, it's it makes it, really makes All it worth it. A hundred percent it does. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then also, like, an immense amount of gratitude for Tara Jane for, like, what she's doing because... Totally. Those are people who would never know what the hell I'm yeah, doing. That's right. Yeah. Does it cause because I don't have time right. to hustle, you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. making wine. Yeah. So that I think is so powerful what you do. Thanks, yes. buddy. Thanks. TJ, man. you are awesome. Yeah. You, Stop and it. You, I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are all like fluttering each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like just for you being the champion of like absolutely. the small guy, it's like and you and to just like do an absolute amazing job of, of doing it and like promoting your brand because I mean Onru is your brand and it's comprised of all these other little brands and That's we're right. all like you know become kind of like this we're you know strength in numbers yeah. type of thing and like yep. you, yes. know, you give us a voice and um, rising tide yeah, 100%. What yeah. What's, your, what's your social media you're on Facebook Inst- are, face- are you on the X Facebook now? and Instagram <laughs> and my husband runs LinkedIn for me ah good <laughs> I don't know how to do <laughs> No, that's LinkedIn is, is the business side. If anybody wants to do free social media for me, I could use some help. <laughs> in trade for wine. Uh, lots in, in trade for wine. There we go. Um, I could use some, some social media help. I can't do a reel to save my life. It's real frustrating. God, it's so rough, real dude. I'm like, you've seen, Brian's seen some of mine. Oh, God, it's hard. And sometimes you get to the end of a long day of bottling or harvest, and maybe or maybe not, you've partaking of the product and so some things seem real funny when you post yeah. them right that's right uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the dream and goal for own root right now would be to find a partner mm. that wanted to um open a brick and mortar in sonoma oh and run the brick and mortar and then because i I don't have an interest in like sitting in a place from ten to seven it every day. It just got like looks double looks but John and Brian here. There's not something <laughs> like this in Sonoma. Like Napa has Bay Grape. Napa has you know I love 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 them. I love what they're doing. Like we have Cadet. We have people. We have places that are catering to industry and 
to tourists like that want to explore right. this subset of people. Sonoma doesn't really have that. We have Valley over here, which yeah. I, I love them. They're doing awesome. But like, there's not a, a kind of an epicenter for small brands over here. Yep. No, now and they do it in Healdsburg. Yes, successful. But Sonoma right. doesn't. Sonoma Town doesn't. And I can drive here faster than yeah. Healdsburg because I still have to come sometimes. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the vision that I have for growing own route would be to be able to find somebody that wants to, you know, really own like the brick and mortar space of it. And within that, like, it w so retail, but then within that, be able to say to, you know, to Tyler, like, hey, you want to do a tasting and you can't do yeah. it right. at your place. Come For and sure. do it you at our winemaker place. Winemaker events, grower and events, yeah. yeah. let you come and do your own personal private tastings. And then I would take a smaller percent of the wines that you sell from yeah. that and handle the compliance. So I think, it, I think the model is good. I just don't have the capacity to sit in one place from 10 to 7 every day. Yeah, no kidding. Don't blame you. Um, at all. No. Sorry, are you running a business and being a mom? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want <laughs> to wait for them on. to come in. You want them um, to come in for a reason. Well, that's why it's fun to schedule events and then do the events yeah. because yeah, you know and, people are coming. But also be able to host private tastings yeah, would be right. really cool. Kind of like the um, the Blackbird model, be, you know, before they sold to RH, where, like, somebody can come in and you can say, like, okay, tell me what you like. Like, I can create a cool tasting for you as right. a tourist and, like, you know, then you get invested in it in buying into not just like the Terra Jane vibe, but you get invested in the Onru vibe, which is the whole yeah. goal is like is that it's not me, it's the vibe of like I trust this brand Onru to give me these other brands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that it sounds like something you could do in the afternoon at the fair. You have lots of Brian. time. <laughs> you don't need bring to get in, paid. Bring in eight different people and you no, know, do it's a, a it's different. Anyway, that's that's uh, something that's in my head is like the yeah. next, um, yeah. the next iteration. No, I think it's know, super cool. It and all, I, out of the um, internet world and putting it into a real space where people can actually, you know, be a community and 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 I think that would be really special. No, I think John at the Fairmont in San Francisco they're doing something, but they're. Well, they're I was talking here. Oh yeah, I mean th they took on a model there. I think it's like Bin Three Sixty Five or something, but they give you access to like Opus and Screaming Eagle. The wines that we're drinking for me are wines that people that are, and this is true. At, I think at Valley as well, and the same with their food and their wine are people that have been in the industry yeah. or mm -hmm. people that are into um, um, adventure. Um, that want to find something that um, is a little off the beaten path, but still want really high quality totally. products, and um, and that's why I love what you do, and I love what they do over at Valley Me as too. well, because I want to try these things. And, and and anyone that's out there listening right now, you would never have heard about these three Rieslings that we tried totally. or these Saint Laurents that we tried um, if you wouldn't have listened to this show. I mean, we have people that are in. All 50 states in um, 30 countries across and 30 yeah. countries. Um, wow. That, that you, Amazing. There's no way that you would have heard about this 25 cases of wine. That's right. Um, so it's kind of this cool little club. Um, and and it takes someone like, I mean, you need a psalm to put them together or you need like Lyle Fast does it for yes. European stuff Got to where I don't have time to go research all that shit. Um, but he'll put them together in little bundles so that mm -hmm. you can actually purchase them. Now, Tara's we have a lot of fast fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Tara's doing that um, for for wines around here, and it's the coolest shit ever. Um, Congratulations! Yeah. Thanks. Really cool. It's really really yeah, fun, and great. like the actually, it's really the the 
props is to the winemakers because like all I have to do is be a cheerleader and like these guys do the hard work and the heavy lifting of like, selling yourself short. It's a partner but, girl. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's but it's, it's, it's nice though. Thing we I'm don't very impressed the ability, time, well, okay, I don't make wine, so... Tyler, tell us if people wanted to come out here and do a tasting that is not at... And, and nothing wrong with these wineries I want to mention. Look... You can go to Kundi or Chateau Montalene or Benziger but or, or you can you can you can if you want, but if you want to do something that is super cool, authentic, that, I would say yeah. yeah, both those things down to earth, just unpretentious. We're just we're real people doing you know, literally have our hands in the dirt. We're we're growing the fruit you know, and it's a labor of love, and you know, uh, my dad in particular has been doing it for forty years and. Um, we love doing it. We're going to keep doing it. And if you want to come out and check out what we're doing, um, email is always the best thing. You can go to our website, richievineyards.com. So R I C C I vineyards.com or email me Tyler at richievineyards.com. Um, and we can set something up. If you go to the website, there's not really a place where you can be like, Oh, I want to visit. Um, just because we don't want to get in trouble with permitting and all that. So, um, so yeah. here's your opportunity to actually get on the property and go taste wine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, cool. Um, what brand do you? I mean, obviously you want to sell your wines, but I mean, give a shout out to the other wines you're making too, right. and let give people know. So obviously, Otavino <laughs> wines, um, which is spelled O T T A V I N O wines, plural. And this means little octave. The little octave. Yeah. A piccolo. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The piccolo flauta. Um, and um, so I've been making weights mass for 10 years now. And that's weights mass W-E-I-G-A-I-T-S. W-A-I, okay. Hyphen M-A-S-T. So Jennifer okay. Waits beautiful and also. Really, really, really so elegant well, Pinot Noirs. Thank you. Really. All Anderson Valley, Pinot Noir, and surrounding areas. So we do a little Mendocino Ridge. And Comchi is about to get its own appellation. So Is that true? Yes. Oh, that's nice. so cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool, right? Because there's only a handful of vineyards out there. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're cool climate Pinot. I mean, I, about the coolest you can get in California um, and making it in San Francisco. They're two San Franciscans oh. and uh, yeah, they're lovely people. And then Neely in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And we just opened a tasting room down there. So after, after gosh knows how long, we can host people on the property. And it's gorgeous. It's a 230-acre parcel of land. And we only have about 20 planted. So we actually do oh, have... Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the legacy blocks. The own, We have two blocks of own-rooted Chardonnay that are 40-plus years old. Nice. Um, a third that's the mass cell selection that's grafted on rootstock. We have uh, three three blocks of Pinot. One is uh, grafted on the original Gewurztraminer planting that was unrooted. That is so cool. I know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then we have our new blocks, which is really fun. We have um, some Wenticlo and Pinot. We're doing mostly stainless steel. We have Grunovet Liener. I don't know who suggested planting them. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then Wenticlo and Pinot and stainless steel. Yeah. Okay. You just need to come back. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm, I started, I've been making wine for going into the fifth vintage with a gentleman named Xander Soren, who's an old Apple exec, but a buddy of uh, some old clients of mine. Is that the one where the Instagram account is in a language that I cannot understand? Yeah, so we had a Japan launch. So his target market okay. is, he, he loves Japan. He's a And you got to go to an, Japan. He's an American guy who loves Japan and um, loves Japanese cuisine, wanted to make a Pinot for Japanese cuisine. That's what we've been doing. Uh, we went to Tokyo in April, and uh, stay tuned. U.S. launch is coming pretty soon. So, yeah. I mean, I want to try Pinot that's made for Japanese cuisine. 
Me too. And also eat all the Japanese cuisine. Also. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's right. I was not mad at trying out the food pairings. Right. Yeah. It's pretty good. So yeah, that's uh What that's were they the pairing it with? Oh, lots of stuff. So we did actually um mainly few, sushi or a few with sushi, um yeah. a few things with like wagyu, a few things with duck. Ah. Um yeah. but I didn't uh, know, you know they cooked duck. <laughs> yeah, I mean and and I mean I, I there's an amazing amount of variety in Japanese cuisine, and I don't think Americans necessarily know it, but, like, you know, we did a bunch of izakaya stuff, like, obviously, ramen and, like, sushi and um, I, there's it, there's uh, curries. I mean, there's Japanese curries, and um, one of the restaurants he had taken us to, amazing chef. He's Bib Gourmand. Um, he's... Uh, from Okinawa, his his mother, I believe, is um, Chinese Okinawan, which is very common, and so he's doing like Chinese influenced Okinawan cuisine in Tokyo, and it was just one of the best meals I had. In fact, it was the first night that I was there, and it was the last meal when my family was mm. there. I took them back to it. So I mean, like we it. had yeah. yeah, we had some amazing cool. food, amazing food. Anyway. <coughs> yeah. Well, thanks you guys, dude. Thank this you guys. Been what a amazing. pleasure. I mean, this wonderful show. I have a yeah. little something to play. Obviously, did not. This is this is the piccolo. <laughs> Can wow. you play? This? We got our solo. <laughs> well, this isn't you. Oh, but she can play it. <laughs> I thought it'd be a nice closer. It's beautiful. It's I a love nice it. closer. We've opened with the Godfather. Right. We've opened with some Bruce Springsteen for some. I, you know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I would love it. Be a nice way to close with the piccolo. Close yeah, close. yeah absolutely. Well done, lady. I thought that was actually you for a second. I was like, oh, that was. No, they're they are on the interweb somewhere because I did I did finish my masters at some period of time. There was something on the internet. You know, uh, the Valley of the Moon of the Moon Music Festival is doing all these classical music concerts with cellos, violins, and and an old like eighteen hundred piano. Uh, piano forte is what they call it, and very early piano, and they are beautiful concerts. They're being put on right now around the city in huh. you know, So look it up. Love it. Classical music in Sonoma. It's great. Excellent. It's been a music summer. Indeed. All right, you guys, get on. I mean, thanks, man. Get them. Yeah, get on the interweb and get some of these wines sent to your house. Yeah, drink um, more wine. Yeah, we're not going to do good wine. Don't drink no shout outs for us. No shitty wine. No shitty wine. That's yeah. all right, really. There's enough good wine out there. Um, yeah, you should. Well, have you don't to. have to. Yeah, yeah. go I mean, get some. I've got the best job in the world. I'm Brian's Assam, of course. You know, Sam comes from the grower background. Yep. And Bart is a winemaker, and I'm the consumer. So I get to taste all the incredible wines in all the valleys around here. And like we tell John, there none of us have anything to do without you. There you go. Truth to John. Truth to John. Thank you, John. Best job I've ever had. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.